Welcome back to this incredible episode of 10 Forward, the episode summary and recap series brought to you as part of the Clone Star Pod. I am your host, Mike Overton, and I have an incredibly awesome special guest this week. It is the wonderful Michael Goodwill from Trekking Up North. How are you, sir? Hello, Mike. How are you, sir? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. It's really? weird having two mics on the scene. Two mics on one show, aren't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You should be Mike 1, I shall be Mike 2. Okay, <laughs> okay, Mike 2. Um, <laughs> so, this episode is going to be a Series 4 Lower Decks recap. And we are just going to natter about the last, the first, well, the 10 episodes within this season. Um, warning, there are spoilers, so if you haven't caught up, please pause this, go and watch at least this week's episode and then come back to us. Other than that, Tuvix. Wow. First of, <laughs> first of all, what a name for a show. <laughs> everyone's, yeah. everyone's PTSD sort of came out thick and I fast. <laughs> I mean, I think, I should have, I think it, someone needs to do a parody called Two Twix. Ooh, I want a Twix. <laughs> Two Twix. It, the first time I read it, because it's spelled, isn't it? The two was in the number, and then Vic. with a Vix, yeah. I literally first time read it with Twix. So like, what? No, oh no, no. Two <laughs> Is that the dyslexia coming out? And you're just like, what? <laughs> They're doing an episode about Twix. I want uh, a Twix. Wow, chocolate. <laughs> mm, no. Um. Anyway, but I tell you what. It, I think it was a cracking start to a season. What an opener! What an absolute opener to to come out and just go, hey. Have you missed Voyager? Here it is. <laughs> and every fan was just like, yeah. And we were all just, and we were crying and cheering yeah. and uh, yeah, and everything in between. Um, what a what a year we have had for old our ships to make an appearance in Star Trek <laughs> yet again because we have got spoiler alert. Yeah. A rather handsome galaxy class ship, rather narrow Enterprise. Yep. The Defiant and Voyager in the space of six months. The gang is all back together. All we need now is Star Trek Legacy or something similar, and then we've really got the ball rolling. Yes, we need Paramount to settle a fair and reasonable deal for the Axis so we can get Star Trek Legacy made. Yes, and look, Strange New World Season 3, and Lower Deck Season 4, 5, and, you know, Continue with Prodigy Season 2. Section 31 movie. Section 31 movie. Be nice to have the sixth the season of Discovery, but we know that's never going to happen, but anyway. Future projects. Future projects. You never know. Two captains called Mike. Why not? Mike and Mike. <laughs> wasn't that a band? No, that's Mike and Ike, wasn't it? <laughs> it just reminds me of the Frankie Copshaw from uh, <laughs> Garth, <laughs> uh, the two the two renegade landlords. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah you, you're jumping ahead a bit though. With, you know, yeah, I, I think so. Wow, um, what? what? Yeah, it was a great. And a funny thing, the annoying thing about it is, it started off with a massive the season to a massive bang, with loads of hype, and I do feel that. 
other than one, maybe two more episodes, it's the best one of the season. Really? In my opinion. Because, okay, episode two was flat out incredible. Yeah. But that's because of Moopsie. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. I have not waited for quantum mechanics who have announced Moopsie plushies. So they did. Yes, Wait, they have. How the hell did I miss this? Oh, sorry. Breaking news, guy. Um, <clears throat> so, um, Master Replicas, who are currently now selling... Have bought QMX, yep. Uh, have bought QMX and are selling off the Eagle Moss stock. <laughs> I'm yes. so broke on Starship. They have also announced that they, due to popular demand and fan demand, as basically fans have just went, you will make this. Yeah. They are going to be doing the Moopsie plushies, which okay, will sell like the hottest cakes. Yes, the hottest of cakes. Yeah. Because if if Lower Decks in the last four years has has taught us anything, we love weird alien cuddly creatures. We love space slugs. Yep. Um, by the way, the space slug in the in the opening, the, the I don't know what the name is, the the plasma slug. Yep. Did you cry when you saw her hanging off the back of the Enterprise in Strange New Worlds? Because I yes. bawled. I was yep. like, she's alive in the 22nd century. It's so cute. How long do these things live for? No, I no. know. I just, oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> so it's like the, the weird things that Trekkies want. We want Moopsie. Yeah. We want uh, Badgie. Very we want cold. the Plasma Slug. And we want Anson Mount's hair. So yes. we have a very especially for those who's losing theirs. Especially for those who don't have wonderful thick hair. We have very simple demands, but they need to be met urgently, yes. or else we riot. Uh, that's in Star Trek Legacy. But uh, no, well, get some mouse head just walking across the set. <laughs> yes, go that. Yeah, it could be a triple. We don't know. Uh, but, but 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 getting back to 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 Tubix, uh, so the Cerritos is there for a very honourable mission, I would say, to, to escort Voyager back to Earth and then eventually Starfleet Museum. Yep. Um, now, uh, yeah, I, I think this is one of my... I, I sort of agree with you, Mike, one, that this is one of my favourite episodes of season four, where it's just, it's nice. And th this is what we say all the time on Trek Up North, the, the beauty of Lower Decks is, they will put these cameos in of ships and of uh, characters, but not shove them in your face. They no, will not say tastefully. Yeah, they are they are done because all these things exist in the same universe, so you will run into them from time to time. And this is just like, oh, they're escorting Voyager. Yeah, here's Voyager. Nice few beauty shots, and then they just get on with the episode, destroying the ship. Assimilated Borg Salamanders is another plushie which my co-host wants dearly. Oh, me too. And also, I want the um, the 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 floating bug, whatever it's called, and the macrovirus. There we go. I had to think about. Oh, that. really? You want the macrovirus as well? The macrovirus plushie. Wow. I mean, that was a hell of a callback to Voyager as well. Yeah. Um, and, and the Neelix cheese. The Neelix cheese. To, to defeat an enemy using crap cheese. It's it's a dig at cheese and it's a dig at Neelix's cooking. And yep. it's just like, 
Oh man, Neelix. I totally forgot about but, Neelix. A morale officer. The one little takeaway from that though is that everyone loves Voyager. Mm-hmm. And obviously Voyager came home and you know everyone reminisced and all the stories and everything came out. And the takeaway from that was is Neelix made cheese. <laughs> Badly, and it destroyed yeah. the ship. <laughs> I, I have a bit of a sore spot with the ending of Voyager because I always wanted to actually see Voyager on Earth, back yeah. on Earth. Well, and other I, than flying through the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, but that was an alternate time. So I would like to actually see them land. And, uh, I don't know. I, I was more interested in... I would have loved to have seen the fallout after returning to Earth. Um, and it was always a source. Well, I mean, we got some exposition in uh, Picard yep. from, from Seven and Nine, but I, I would have liked Kim promoted. Um, he's probably still like a lieutenant junior grade now in the 25th century, but he's, <laughs> he's oh, well, he's not. He's actually a captain in Star Trek Online. But yeah, that's Beta Cannon. Beta Cannon, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Well, we still have Ensign. Well... Yeah. Uh, no, because he does go back in time, doesn't he? And he was a he There was a there was a nice little uh, Easter egg in Star Trek Online that's just been released about Captain Harry Kim, and it was like you're going through the Jeffrey's shoes of his ship, and it goes, "No swinging or uh, climbing on the pipes. Use the force, Harry." And I'm just like, you know, like on the the door stickers, like they used to do in yep. TNG and DS9 when they used to have a bad job. Straight on there, use the force, Harry. Yeah. And then the. the... the best one I best one I've come across and I have the sticker uh, which literally has the intro to Itchy and Scratchy on it wow I've, I've, I have some set stickers from <laughs> Picard season 3 and the, the leftovers but um, yeah it's one of the stickers that was on the bridge of the Enterprise D and it has Itchy and Scratchy on it did you see the official pips from Paramount that you, that you used to sell like yep. the rank pips and the rank was Harry Kim and it was yes. just for Ensign and I'm just like Burn. <laughs> but no I mean but at least to, I owned it <laughs> well speaking of owning it um, to, to sort of deal with the two Vicks issue head on in this episode I think it was really good because we do get both sides of the coin where obviously there's a transporter accident and um, the, like uh, the orchid and Ta'ana and Phillips get two Vicks <laughs> <laughs> Tillips. Yeah. Love I love Tillips. Tillips. I, I, I mean, read... my favourite one was, um, oh, God, what's his name? The whale. Oh, the the, the, uh, the, the dolphin. The cetacean. Um, no, he's a Gary. whale. Is it, it's, yeah. Um, but I can't remember what they called him. I can't remember. The, wasn't uh, it just Gary? It was something, it was like a mix of Gary and the thing. It was like <laughs> Steven Stevenson, but it was stupid. Yes! And the only oh, line whale, he had was or something. Um, and the only line he had was just... <laughs> on, two, two big characters. I'm going to have to Google this now. But I love the fact that um, when when Freeman is telling Shax what Jade Wade did to deal with two Vicks, and Shax just goes, holy, you know, holy bleep. Janeway didn't mess around and everyone's everyone in the audience is just like yes she straight up murdered a dude but that is still a very very it's divisive amongst the fans yeah, for sure because I mean well I mean I'm always on the case of yes she did most certainly murder poor Tuvix but I know a lot of people that say no oh 
Swale Swalens. Swales. <laughs> Back on the Cerritos, Tendian to Lynn sneak into the transporter or until it's great, Chondus. <laughs> introduces Chondus to Shavans and Swale Swalens. <laughs> Excited that he's creating an army of hybrids. Oh god, it was such a fun episode. I forgot how fun it was when Freeman and Miglymore get merged together. Oh my god. Uh, I still struggle saying Miglymore. Miglymore, yeah. The the greatest line he's had in season four uh, is uh, when he's offered the menu and he's like, oh, you don't have to throw up in my mouth twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no offence, that's not something Sean would say. Um... <laughs> Yeah, my, my co-host, uh, Science Officer Sign Oysters, I, I received a lovely video from Tesco where he's like, ooh, offer on cucumbers, you don't have to throw up in my mouth twice. And I'm like, oh. okay. So, um, <laughs> but no, it was um, to, to deal with that and to deal with, you know, how they did it, uh, you know, oh, she straight up murdered. Yes, but she didn't have Starfleet there. Yeah. And we've got Starfleet and we can actually just deal with it. We don't have to straight up murder people. Um, and they do it by straight up. I would still say they did murder the entity because it's, they just reverted. Yeah, but, but I mean, you can't really say that it was that, you know, it's not like it was a walking, talking, proper sentient being. It was just one great big gelatinous blob of everybody. Yeah, yeah. On the whole, though, it was a really fun episode to see all these little callbacks to Voyager, Tom Paris's uniform, Seven of Nines, the one where the the officer drops Seven of Nines mannequin, and the eye bit falls off, and oh. they just pick it up and they just decide to sneak away, hoping no one's looked. Um, the 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 salamanders to have an entire salamander, um, yeah, uh, uh, exhibit, and I'm like, wow. But, I mean, they addressed. Threshold. Yeah. <laughs> well, they took all the best bits of Voyager and just dotted them throughout the episode. Yeah. It's literally the way that I look at it. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, but this is the first episode, obviously, we see uh, the mysterious vessel. Yeah. Which I lovingly named, when it turns on its side, Krusty the Clown. Because it, it sort of had the little flared bits at the side and a yeah. big purple mouth, and I was just like, I sort of like Krusty the Clown. But like, it is, is it is a shape we have seen before. Is it? Yes. Ooh, do elaborate. Well, it's the same shape as um, that Terran thingy from TOS, isn't it? Is it? The, the Agonizer. Um, hang on, I need to find the... I can't remember what it's called. Everyone's going to shoot me now. I'm going to have to have my nerd card back. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Agonizer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the Agonizer. Yeah, that they put it's on the, the shoulder. It's the same shape yeah. as the Agonizer, isn't it? Yeah, never, never feel bad about not remembering something. As I keep saying to people, there are nearly 900 episodes plus God knows how many movies of Star yeah. Trek. You cannot remember every single facet of it. But getting back to the nitty gritty of Threshold on Neelix's feta cheese, um, I loved, I think, like I said, I would have loved to have seen Voyager land on Earth. And I think this was answering those fans' uh, demand of seeing Voyager 
on Earth at Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco as a museum exhibit, yeah. um, actually landing there, obviously before it went to Earth and Prime. Yeah, um, which is where we see it again. Well, we see it again, I should say. Well, yeah, because obviously it would be here because they would have had to remove the little space dock on Earth's orbit. Oh, that really small thing that easily can be moved. Yeah, that one. At high warp, yes, of course. Yeah. Just imagine a thousand tugs pulling it at point one of impulse. You get there in about 18 years. Imagine the immense warp bubble that they would have had to have generated. But that is a very valid point. How did they get it to Anthem Prime? Did they disassemble it and rebuild it? Did they drag it? Or did they create a massive warp bubble and warp it there? Because Anthem Prime's not that close. (laughs) I I would say... I've I've got two theories. Um, One... Or did Q just... Oh, yeah, it's obviously Q. Um, It's always Q. Uh, One, it was a fleet of tugs that toured her uh, emitting a very large warp bubble or they disassembled section by section yeah. and then warped them to Ethan Prime. That's what I'm that that to me sounds the most logical. It would make sense. Considering you've got an entire fleet of evacuation ships that are no longer valid just sitting yeah. at Mars. Yeah, might as well make sense. Left of Mars, but yeah. It's still on fire, apparently. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, it was, it was it was nice to see a little bit of mystery, uh, and I, I I do have a um, I do have a bit of an issue about this mystery all the way through, but I'll get I'll get to it when we get to those episodes. But it was nice to see. Ooh, there's a there's a there's a new evil, there's a new baddie that's going to be underlying all the way through lower decks. What is it? Why are they vaporizing Klingon ships? Why are they destroyed? Yeah, I, I sort oh, of like. Binars. <laughs> No, I can't. Oh, we'll get to that one. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I I really liked. I thought Tuvix was very funny, very entertaining, loving references to what we love about Voyager and what we didn't like about Voyager. Yeah, because everyone everyone takes a poop on um, uh, threshold, and it's like, yeah, but it happened. Yeah, yep. it Me happened, it's and it's canon. And again. Why didn't they just warp 10 to Earth and then just all get changed back from Salamander's pothole? Exactly. Yes. But anyway, we'll, we can go down a whole rabbit hole on that one, but we're not going to, not tonight anyway. Do you want to go to episode two? Oh, <laughs> I have bones yet I may flee. Moopsie. Moopsie. For those That's who all haven't... we're going to say. Sorry? <laughs> That's all we're going to say. Moopsie. So for those who haven't seen it, last week... Me and my other co-host shows have had the incredible honour of interviewing Meg, who was the director of that episode. One of the best, one of our favourite episodes that we've recorded. We absolutely enjoyed it. Meg is incredibly lovely and uh, gave us some really funny insights into the Moopsie, which I'm not going to go into here. So if you haven't seen it yet, make sure you go and check out that episode for all the little nitty gritty bits about Moopsie. This but should yeah. just be, this is again, this is a defining episode of Star Trek where a tiny little thing consumes every little Trekkie in the world and it's like, yeah, this is us now, this is our identity and it's Moopsie. Yep. Um, for uh, Strange New Worlds, obviously it's Anton hair when it comes yep. to Strange New Worlds, but uh, 
you know, it was um, Ad Astra Perspera, it was those old scientists for, for this season of Lower Decks, it was the new two. Yep. And wow, I mean, this was a really fun episode. And it was a great juxta- it was a great um, insight into how people still think that, you know, it's always Mariner's fault. Yep. You know, she has issues. So, oh, well, she's got issues and this has happened. So let's just immediately blame Mariner when she's like, it legitimately was not me. No, it was those bloody humans in captivity. Those human bastards. It was yeah. really bad. Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, and she did raise some really good points, though, when it came to, like, having a zoo. Yeah. Space. Like, you're... you're, you're 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 trapping these animals for other people's entertainment. How do you not see it's right? And yep. then you know, the the cuddly moopsie. <laughs> what I loved is when the the curator just flat out crapped himself. Yeah. Where's this nice calm person? He goes, oh, the moopsie is free. <laughs> She's just like, oh no, your most cuddly cutest animal. <laughs> this pure little ball of white fluff is free. Yes. And it just legit drinks the bones out of this yeah. savage apex predator. And yeah. I was uh, oh. swamp gobblers. Swamp? What a name! I know, great name. But my my favourite part of that episode is, you know, Moopsy goes and eats the swamp gobblers, or you know, sucks the swamp gobblers, whichever you want to look at it, and then just jumps out and goes, Moopsy. And then just plodles along the floor. Just, it just, I love it. It's and it's the so, little squeaks that it makes yeah. as well. So it's like, yep. Um, exactly. Kind of what, reminds me of like a really mini evil Baymax. But what we have forgot to uh, mention as well is after the events of episode one, the lower decks crew, bar Rutherford, all get a nice shiny black pip on they the do. neck. They do. They are Lieutenant JGs or junior grades. About time. It's about time, yes. And it's it's nice to see, because it has been, let's, well, I mean, in-universe it's 2380 still, but it's been yep. three years. Um, which, by the way, I, I still love that Mike McCannon is is strict to Stardate's um, set out in TNG. Yep. And this is what I like saying to the fans, where if they say it's Stardate, da, 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 you can actually track it to season one, episode one, a counter at Farpoint, the next exactly. generation, which is brilliant. So you can, Carol Freeman can say it's Stardate, eight, nine, blah, 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 and you can go, that's 2380, that's 2381. Yep. How do I know? Because of this, because of this. Um, but it's, it's long overdue. And I like the fact that although it's an animated show, unlike most animated shows, there is progression. Um, you know, they are moving forward in their careers. Exactly. Bar Rutherford at this point. And now they are Lieutenant JGs. And they have to wrestle with the fact they are no longer lower decks, but they are sort of middle management now. Well, they're now the, the lower decks. Of the lo- yeah. Yeah. yeah, the lower middle management of, exactly. of Starfleet. And Boimler makes this rousing speech to say, yes, we are Lieutenant JGs and we have got more responsibility. However, we are the lower decks of lieutenants and, you know, we are still lower decks. So they, they now have to wrestle with the fact that they have got more responsibility and they won't be seeing each other because they have all left the communal bunk areas of the Cerritos and now yep. have their own quarters. Yes. Well, Okay. So at that point, because quarters will obviously come up, yeah, in the exactly. bit. But um, um, that's the nice B plot, though, within the, the 
within the Moopsie episode. Uh, <laughs> I have no bones yet. I must no. It's the Moopsie episode. Yes. It's the one with the whales, just substituted with Moopsie. Yes. Um, which ties into the season four poster, which is really nice. Exactly. But great poster. The B plot is obviously in the first episode Rutherford wasn't really bothered by the fact that he never got a promotion but then in episode two he's sort of like oh don't worry I can get promoted by the end of the day and great that's that's absolutely fantastic but then he's got an arch rival Levick and we just everyone see everyone needs an arch rival everyone needs an arch rival I've got one uh, it's it's called Mike One uh, I've got Mike one One's got a rival two. it's called Mike Two exactly. so it's you know it's all good um, <laughs> but we it's nice to see Rutherford thinking uh, oh I can just get promoted and then realising it's not as easy as he thought it was and he just gets more and more annoyed and yet determined to get this Lieutenant JG promotion yeah. however though the one thing I was over the moon about Bar Moopsie we got the Tucker Tubes yes they have a name! Whatever they do, no one knows. Not even uh, Billups. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And then you've also got the Billups tubes. Yes, which are just the Tucker tubes with an extra it's tube the one on top. top. Yeah. <laughs> well, does that make that, though? That's Tucker tube one, Tucker tube two, and then Billups tube. Trip's not dead. Anyway. <laughs> Look, we're not going down that rabbit hole either. There is no rabbit hole. He's working for Section 31. <laughs> but no, it was um, yeah, a great A-B plot on this one. Um, I love the fact the B plot is just sold by Tendy going, hey, Billups, can you have a promotion? He just flings the yep. pin. Takes it away from Levick and then just takes... And, and the thing with that as well is, one thing that I kind of... I thought was lovely about it was the fact that he could have been promoted two or three times throughout the first two or three seasons and he chose not to because he didn't want to be the only JG yeah but this is the first instance of the season where we see does Rutherford have feelings for Tendi perhaps well we will definitely go through that when we get to episode five yes exactly but this is the first inkling that that the viewers will have for that but I mean the main air, the main air plot where they they are trying to uh, trap the Moopsie, who you know is thirsty for your bones, but will jump in the cutest possible way in order to drink them. And it's just, not just oh, that; it's it jumps and then bumps on the door. Oh, and it makes a squeak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it makes a squeak. Right, QMX. <clears throat> if you don't Please have a squeaker, squeak. <laughs> yeah, it has to say Moopsie, and it has to have a squeaking nose. Yeah. Like how Tribbles scream and purr. (laughs) I have two of the damn things down there. Occasionally they just randomly go off. And I'll be on a Zoom call for workers and they're (laughs) randomly in the background. It's got the Tribbles squeaking and vibrating in the corner. Now you see, I'm going to to get two Moopsies and I'm going to put one in my car as a deterrent. Um, My car is green, so therefore I had a Kermit the Frog cuddly toy in the back. I'm going to replace it with a Moopsie. And I'm just going to have a little sticker just saying, this car is protected by the Moopsie. Well, I have a white car, so... Perfect. There you I go. might have to get some Moopsie graphics put on the bonnet. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> My car is now called Mo- Moopsie the Peugeot. Yep, that's when what you un- When you unlock the alarm, it just goes, Moopsie. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Don't tempt me, I'll find a way. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, the things we can do with electrics these days. Oh, I, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, what did you think of this episode overall? It's my favourite. It's even really? now, even after seeing the rest of the episodes, it is still my favourite episode, and it's gradually becoming my comfort episode as well. Just, just want to watch something that's funny and a little bit light-hearted. Moopsie. Moopsie. Every time. Yeah, I think this is probably my second favourite. What's your favourite? My favourite is episode nine. Okay. Uh, Good the, episode. The inner fight. The inner fight, yeah. Um, but yeah, again, um, did we see the did we see the mysterious? Yes, we did at the beginning of the episode, the Romulan yeah. vessel. Which, the- by the way... No, this is the Romulan vessel. The Romulan one, yeah. Uh, which, by the way, is Probert's concept for the Romulan warbird from the next generation. Yes, indeed, which is portrait, which, to be fair, does look a bit odd. It... When, when, you, when you look at where Romulan warbirds are now, yeah, it looks a bit odd. It's cool. It is Very a bit cool. odd. It doesn't fit. It was, it, it, it was kind of reassuring. I loved it. I freaked out, and then I got sad because Eagle Moss were going to make it. I know. And I'm just like, yay! Oh, never get it. And well, we well, might get one. We might get one one day. Fingers crossed. But it was nice to see, like, and it, again, it's a testament to the level of detail that the the showrunners and the writers go into, where they're just like, oh, this thing that was only a drawing in Probert's office. Let's make that kind of, you know, it's the Spock's helmet all over again. <laughs> <laughs> When we see the collector, it's just like the helmet with the siren on. I'm like, it's canon. Get that in Strange New Worlds right now. Oh, God. Could you imagine that next season? And then Spock, Ethan Peck comes out with a Spock helmet on. Did you ever see the meme of that when uh, Spock um, got emotions? And he was just like, why are you wearing that ridiculous? Oh, it's it's, it's part of the uniform. And it's just the Spock's helmet instead of the (laughs) piece. Anyway, we're diverging. Um, we are. We are. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> In the Cradle of Vexalon, episode three. Ooh. One of the things I really loved in this episode, and I said it in my episode recap, is everybody who goes through life gets promoted and then has to struggle with how they manage. Yes. I did it when I went from a sales assistant, worked my way up to a general manager. You know, it's one of those things where you really have to kind of crash course learn how to manage people and delegate. And, you know, it's one of the hardest things as anybody in management is to delegate. And And that's one of the things I loved in this episode is that they they took that head on. Yeah, it's a a trial by fire for a load of people. I know people who've been promoted to managers and they go, finally a manager. And they're like, I'm not really a people person. I can't manage people. I can't deal with these difficult issues. And it's sort of uh, a sink or swim moment for uh, a lot of people. Obviously, when we see, um, because Boimler and Mariner, they're in command division. That's why they're red. So obviously, they have to learn how to command teams, command ensigns, and this is a quite literal trial by fire for Boimler. Literally, where, yeah. yeah, literally, where he's surrounded by a load of NX warp cores, because apparently they're just power relays now in the 24th century. It's a good right. use of old technology. Yeah, especially in, for an old computer. Yeah. Um, so it's a literal trial by fire, but it's, it's nice that 
What I love about Lower Decks is it's funny and then it does take on serious subjects. And again, this is a serious subject. It's like, how do you know, how how can I send people to their deaths? And it goes back to the TNG episode where Deanna Troy is doing the command training program. Yeah. And she keeps failing and failing and she doesn't know why she's failing. And then she realizes to pass, she has to send someone to their death because it's the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few of the one. And like Riker says, part of being in command, you have to send people to die. You have to make that sacrifice. You have to save the lives of everyone. Someone has to die. And Boimler is very paranoid and he's, he's doing everything all, all by himself. And I've, I've certainly done that. So when have I. I, I think yeah. any new, any person who's new to management does. Yeah. Because you always you, will do. The first time you become any kind of management, it's always going, I'll have to do it because no one else can do it and I'll have to. And you just end up doing everything. I've, I mean, I've done it recently as last month where you sit there and you go, you know, oh, well, I could train you to do this, but it's quicker if I do I'll it. So do it. it does, yeah, and I will just do it. And then it gets to a point and they go, so have, have they been trained to do this? Uh, no. They watched. <laughs> and it's like, watching is not doing um, and this is very much, you know, Boimler shows him, but he's like, oh, well, you have to do this, do this, but you're not doing it right. I will do it right, and then I will take over. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it, it was a great parallel to real world for a lot of people, I guess, especially myself, where it's just yep. like, yeah, I've, I've definitely uh, been there. But it's also, again, we do have another megalomaniacal computer. Yep. But in a good way. In a very good way. I um, mean, it's not... Um, Jeffrey Combs Agamus <laughs> having a complete brain fart the, the evil MSI uh, desktop PC as I call it <laughs> 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 yeah, okay. which was strange because I, I saw that episode and went into Curry's the next day and I'm just like hmm. there's a lot of Agamuses around here <laughs> um, and they're all red why? Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's a very gamer thing though, isn't it red yeah, yeah, um, but it's also the, is this the one where they do the suspected hazing as well? Yes. Uh, yes, it is, yes. Yes, this is where they have to go through the poxy isolinear chips. And they have to scan each and every one of them, and again, I think this is this is an episode to, to, to go to workers like, hey, we hear you, you have been hazed and you've had to take responsibility, yep. you know what it's like, and like, I, I was hazed in, in some jobs where it's like, oh, you have to yep. do this, oh, you've done it, yes, but you forgot about these things that we never told you about. And don't forget to go and buy the polka dot paint as well, yeah. Yeah, check the blinker fluid in your in your indicator. Yep. What? Oh, yeah, blinker fluid. Oh, oh, you are taking the PI mess. Um, but yeah, and uh, I, I love the fact that Tendi's like, the hazing, the hazing, the hazing, and then it turns out, oh, they weren't actually hazing. And when they set the trap for, I forget, I forget yeah. the name, the lieutenant. The lieutenant we've never seen before, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. And then they realise, oh, he's actually not doing that, and he's actually terrified uh, of ferrets. And then we get through the entire episode to find out, wait, no, they are hazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did they really believe that? Yeah, they did. Clink, and I'm just like, oh, you, you saucy people. Yeah, uh, it's a it good, a good episode. episode. I mean, yeah. it's, the problem is that I think, and I think, t- to be fair, 
up until episode five, the first two episodes were so strong that although these were, I think if episodes one and two hadn't been so strong, episodes three and four would be contenders to be, you know, some of the best episodes in the season. I just feel that because Tuvix and I have no bones yet, I must flee. So good and so good and uh, so early on. Yeah, I think that changed a lot of people's perspective, especially mine. I mean, I thought yes, episode three is great. Yes, episode four is great. They're nowhere near as good as episode one and two. In I my think, because the first two episodes are so strong. I, I've I've said. I mean, this this series this uh, season has got uh, weak episodes. I'll quite happily hold my hand up to that. But yep. when I say weak, I mean right. out of out of a hundred, there are seventy. They're an AC. Yeah. If that's a weak episode, that is a good season overall. But that's what I'm saying. It's we're talking really small details. Yeah. That make them stand out. Yeah. But yeah. Exactly. They are 70s. They are 80s. But episodes one and two are 1995. So this is, you know. But I mean, as a whole, the season is incredible. That's fantastic. I don't think I, I don't think there has been a bad lower decks season. No. I think I think they've no. all been rock solid. They have done references perfectly. And again, this is this is why you get talented people who are Star Trek fans to run these shows because exactly. they know the material and they are faithful to it. I mean, look at Terry Metalis with season three of Picard. He yeah. knew Star Trek inside and out. He worked on Enterprise as a runner. Yep. He's well, passionate about it. Exactly. But it was the only thing I would say about that is it wasn't just Terry. No, it wasn't. It was you everyone who like, brought in. You know, bringing in Dave Blass, bringing, who then brought in Mike Akuda and Doug Drexler and, you know, and then other massive fans like Andrew Jarvis and, you know, all of these people that, you know, may not have necessarily worked on the shows, but know the shows. That's the biggest difference. And it's the tiny, like you keep saying, it's those tiny little details, like the beautiful L cars, which you beautifully recreate on Mike's L cars workshop. And that well, I got... There isn't one this week because I've been on holiday. But anyway. That's fine. But they are plastered all over my machinery and everyone comments on me like, ooh, look at that. And I'm like, aha, yes, it's this one. Plug, plug, plug. Um, but yeah, this is the first episode as well out of the season where we don't see anything about the mysterious show. Exactly, yeah. Which is a good thing because I think if it was, at ev- I think if it was at the beginning of every single episode, it would get predictable yeah. very quick. Yeah. Which yeah. will then lead us on to something boring, something green. First ever visit to the planet Orion. Which thank I'm you, Lord X. I and look- it's not the last visit to no. the planet of Orion. And there will be more in season five as well, which is fantastic. Exactly. This is this is what my uh, this is what uh, Sonoyes, my co-host, always says with lower decks. You don't have to boldly go when you've got so many races and planets yeah. already existing that you can go. Let's go visit them. Let's go yeah. visit. Them. Let's explore them. And you're like, I mean, yes. to be fair, lower decks has done that twice this season. Yes. Which we'll get on to in a bit, a bit further yeah. on. But yeah, yeah, it was, a, again, another really strong episode. But... this The standout for me, though, in this episode, Mark Twain. Yeah. 
<laughs> Solving your differences with the Marshall. The Twin Twains. <laughs> twin Twins. <laughs> Which, again, <laughs> isn't the last time we see the Twains. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was that. We'll get to that. I, I absolutely... I love the that one, song. The one part of this episode that had me in hysterics was when, I can't remember the name of that alien captain, came aboard... They tried doing the Twin Twains. It failed miserably. They show him a bonsai, their pet bonsai tree. And then he eats the damn thing. <laughs> I'm trying to look for the name now. Uh, oh, it's a... Uh, no, there's no name for the captain, but he is a... Uh, Sh- Shal- Shalnoth. Shalnoth, there we go. Yeah, Shalnoth, the Shalnoth yeah. captain. Who comes aboard the Cerritos, and there is this wonderful bonsai tree that Rutherford and Boimler have been graciously taking care of and he comes in and eats the damn thing and, says, and I felt sorry for the poor bonsai tree <laughs> can, we, can we also point out that this is because obviously they, they get the quarters don't they by yes. this seat by I love the fact they addressed quarters that are near uh, the Passat collectors or ram scoops whatever you want to call them not being bathed constantly in red like they're in some sort of seedy red light district and i love the fact that because you look at you look at the galaxy class you look at say the steam runner class which yeah. we do see later on yes. and it's just like there are so many windows next to these ramps next to the warp cells it would just be like being in the red light district and at the end rutherford just goes i'll just adjust the tint yeah and i'm just like, and the the thing that got me about that is when what was that episode two? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, where poor Boimler goes from room to room to I mean, and I agree with you. Who the hell puts quarters in between two holodecks? <laughs> I mean, what the hell do you have Shacks and Doctor Oh no, I, I do want not want to be near that. The fact that the wall moves on this ship is like what are Ooh. you doing, Charles? <laughs> but I love it. But again, it's those, it's those tiny details that you know. And it, this is what... Because I, I remember when um, Eagle Moss went under and Ben met Mike McCann to give him the, the prototype shuttle. And they go into the little detail. And you know he, he sits there. He's one of us that sits yeah. there and goes... Those windows are too flat. What are they? Why is that next to there? That would blind you. And to just simply just go, yeah, we'll just ad- the, all the windows are tinted. Yeah. You can adjust the spectrum. You can essentially do this. You can do. You can polarize it. It's just like that's just genius. Yeah. But it's a question that, to be fair, people have had for the last sixty, sorry, fifty-eight years. Yeah. And, and, but they're doing it in such a nonchalant. Yeah, yeah, we'll just do that. Just do that. Yeah, and this is. But again, this is a beauty, especially with references and stuff like that. They just solve it. They don't make a song and ask. Oh, we'll just do that. And it's just, as I say, it's done tastefully, and they just move on. But the in in something borrows something green. The the to visit Orion for the first time in, in fifty eight years and yeah. say, oh, it's actually quite lush. It's quite yeah. It's quite green. It's quite. Kind of ironic, I suppose. But the, the pirates are all royalty. You know, they, yep. they are they are the monarchs of Orion. Um, let's face it. I mean, we don't really see a lot of the Orions. No. We probably see. We probably saw more of the Orions in season th- um, three of Discovery. Yes. 
yeah. than you do probably combined with TOS, TNG, Voyager, and DS9 because you don't really see them. We don't really see Andorians until Enterprise. No, but that's but that's what I'm saying. So it's great that we get to see one. There's an there's an Orion in Starfleet. Hmm. That's a great thing. And yeah. two, we get to see the planet, and we kind we also get to see a little bit of the the kind of hierarchy within the, within the planet as well. And Tendi's backstory. And know, we also a trained assassin. Exactly. Who saw like, that coming? Eh? Like, holy, holy hell! Like you can legit kill a man from five miles away, and it's yeah. just like this. All we know is is this bubbly scientist that gets excited over tetrion radiation or moss who can literally the... take your head off by blinking yeah it's brilliant mistress of the winter constellation and it's just it's brilliant i did like the nightclub scene though where poor mariner gets stabbed on varying occasions she gets stabbed a lot this season <laughs> she does and they have a jar because this happens so often they just have a jar full of coagulated bloody Blades. knives and you're just like what but it's the fact, it's the fact she gets stabbed again. In the goes, same spot. In the same place, guys. Like, what are the odds? <laughs> so either Orion's are really terrible at throwing knives. Or they and by complete and utter accident, it happened to be, they were aiming for her head and they just so happened to all hit the same place. Or they're really good. And to save having another injury, they decided to just reopen the old one. But again, this is the return of uh, the mysterious ship, which does yep. uh, destroy a uh, Orion vessel at the yep. beginning. Uh, but no, I mean, again, not one of my favourites, but a solid, no. rock-solid episode. But it's yep. a good backstory. Uh, we ex we explore another core. I wouldn't say no, I wouldn't say core federation world but like no, a, but, uh, an established prominent. race yeah yeah exactly. a prominent yeah. race that's yeah. been there since the original series and you just like because this is what i loved about enterprise where they explored a little bit of it and then we got the twist because obviously we've had orion and i won't say the word because it's not really correct nowadays but we have orion dancers yeah shall we say and then we get the plot twist from the big show of all people that you you think we are the the masters? No, it is the women who are yeah. the masters. And it's exactly. like, and they explore this so much better in lower decks, where it's just yeah. like, holy shit! You know, these are like queens, princesses, mistresses. They are really hardcore pirates. Yep. Um, and and it's just I love it. And this is this is what Star Trek's all about. And. Yes, you've got strange new worlds exploring unknown civilizations, but again, it's ex DS9 did it. Yep. Established races where you deep dive into it. Exactly. That's what I love the most about it. I think if I was in Starfleet, I'd be a, a Xeno archaeologist, I think. Yeah. I would totally do a Picard, Indiana Jones of the Stars. <laughs> Can we move on to um, pathological? Yeah, uh, probably my policy. least favorite episode of the season, to be honest with you. Wow, really? Well, mm. uh, no, second to least favorite. My least favorite, which, which is a shame because the director again was lo is lovely as hell, but my least favorite episode is episode eight. So, Aves is not. But that's me. But yeah, empath empathological fallacies. My biggest gripe with this episode is that they've tried to essentially triplicate Luxana Troy. And they're trying can't. too hard 
to be like Luaxana, that it just is bad in my book. And I think that's the only thing yeah. that lets this episode down. Um, and that's nothing against the voice actors at all. They, they've done great jobs. But I just think that the way that the characters were written, it literally is just like, oh, well, Luaxana's done that, so these will do it. Luaxana's done that, they'll do it. And I just think that you're then stereotyping an entire civilization based on one character who, let's face it, Luaxana is extremely extravagant and flamboyant and incredibly lovely. And I just I, feel yeah. that it was, it was just over the top and it didn't fit, it didn't sit right. For me, I, it's not my least favourite episode, but it is a, and I hate saying this because I do love Lorde, it is a forgettable episode, and I, I would call it a filler. Yes. 100%. To get from... It's a bottle it, episode. It is a bottle episode. Um, speaking of bottles, um, nice to see the Las Vegas glasses uh, are still mm. around in the 24th century. Yep. However, much like a Moopsie plushie, it's Romulan, Romulan, Rom, Romulan, Romulan Ale O'Clock Somewhere Caps. Yes. Paramount, you are dropping the ball severely when it comes to merchandise this year because you have had oh. hit after hit. Anyway, so Empathological Fallacies, it's a good bottle episode, It, but it's, it is just a bottle episode. It's it a, moves us on in yeah. the story slightly. Exactly. Um, Which... Then takes us on to Path Frankie's Heart Place. Love the reference. So do I. Very niche reference, and I don't think a lot of people were going to were going to get that. And no. I'm like, this again, Titmouse. Um, they know their audience. I think. Um, I, I've loved. Uh, I've loved them since the Venture Brothers. Yeah. And when they did that, uh, Phil Murphy, uh, who is one of the background animators for for Lower Decks, he takes great pride. In um, make, let me you know, letting people know on Twitter about all the references yep. that, that are in there, and again, it's it's a great. You know, Lord, this is why this is what I love about Lord X and Strange New Worlds and stuff like that. Strange New Worlds has the original series style of episode titles. Yep. Um, Strange New Worlds has a TNG style, but also TNG pun styles. It's just like, oh, it's so good. I mean, look at the the ones later on with uh, episode nine. I mean, yep. what, what a name. Exactly. What but a name. This episode, I love this. We One, we get to go back to Ferengana. It's one of we my favourites. We've seen it twice, I want to say, in DS, two or three times. In Ooh, I, would, I would say about three times in Deep Space Nine. I think it's three times, isn't it? But yes. we only see Bart's house and the pissing rain. Um, <laughs> some would say, some would say it's almost a take on the UK. Hmm. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I've never thought of that, that the UK could be friendly now. Well, I'm looking out my window right now and there is a rather large stall. Yes, it's oh, not yeah. particularly nice out there at the moment, is it? Anyway. Uh, it's friendly now. Um, but, but, yeah. yeah. It's literally like they took every single um, Ferengi pun and made it into a book. So you have the Ferengi puns of acquisition and they literally threw it at this episode. Every mm. single pun they could find that would stick to a wall was in this episode. And I loved it. You know, you had that memorial for lost profit. So the, the fact that dungeon. people died, they lost the profit, people. The Umak dungeon. 
the Umarks, yeah, the Umarks dungeon, the um, museum for of forgery. It's, yeah, I just the, I, the yeah, the I I love the fourth dimensional breaking, shall we say, <laughs> slight dig at Paramount and like, ah, oh, they they insert advertisements into their shows. CBS Eye in the middle of the room, but yeah, which I thought was hilarious. The the TV shows were brilliant. You see, this is this is what this is what I like because Ferengana obviously at this point they've they've they have been influenced heavily by Federation and more importantly human uh, idiosyncrasies and human history, where they're just like. <laughs> this is <laughs> this could be taken either one way where it's just like let's create television let's create multiple streaming services and <laughs> charge them an absolute fortune in latinum for each and every one and i'm just like hmm where have i, I seen that, this before <laughs> they have definitely done they have definitely done that but it's not they, like humanity as a whole is sort of like tv doesn't interest us and Ferenginar has sort of gone that will be good to make profit if we make stuff and it's just like yeah. yeah i i i took that as someone who worked in the industry i took that as a very nice very subtle dig to like this is a this is planet capitalism yeah on steroids so of course they are going to have cable tv with loads of cheap tv shows that are just crappy rom-coms crappy cop shows yeah they they are going to charge and again the hotel room where you've got to pay to use the toilet yep. the pay to pay to use the toilet yep. um it's brilliant the, the tv show and the fact that brad boimler is so naive that he's obviously never seen tv and then he just gets dragged into eight hours solid of ferengi television however though what what i really appreciated with this is we get the first Ferengi homosexual kiss. Yep. And I love that. I, I, I absolutely love that because the the was it the landlord it wasn't the landlord. No, it was the office wrong. The office one, yeah. What did they call the office wrong? Oh, I'm gonna have know. to find the name now. It's called um because they do it in a way where it's just like, and now for Office Romance, the show where everyone is in love with everyone else. And I'm just like, it's so 1950s TV, I love it. Yeah. Um, Sluggo Cola makes a return as well. Yeah, everyone loves a Sluggo Cola. Slimiest um, cola in the galaxy. Exactly. And then, obviously, we then kind of get this bit more of a deep dive into Tendi and Rutherford's possible feelings for each other which is hilarious because it's as you know it's as bright as a warp core that they have feelings for each other yet neither of them are willing yeah. to admit it and it's brilliant and then it's the whole you know well if you're not together you're going to get thrown into prison for defrauding us and it's like they yeah. have to play along whilst being incredibly uncomfortable and then when they go to Quark's Federation experience, which is literally Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas on Frangana. <laughs> it, it really is, because for, for, for those that haven't seen it, where it's just um, the Federation essentially has a tourist board 
yep. uh, that visits these planets and they go, here's the good stuff, here's the, here's the bad stuff, this is what you should do, museums. And, and Mariner just goes, oh, it's just a great excuse to go to a load of hotel rooms, gamble and go to bars. And Ransom's yep. just like, well, it's actually to do this, but yes, it's mostly bars. But I also love the fact where it's like, you know, statistically the Cerritos is the most horniest ship in the fleet and the least committed. And I'm like, it's, yeah, I love that. Um, but where Mar- uh, where Tendi and Rutherford have to play a newly uh, married couple, couple. Yeah. and they have to go through the marriage experience and they, they have essentially Hitch of Ferenganar who um, is, is getting them through this and they have to do a sexy photo shoot. Yeah, and then which was, it's, to, when, it's when he goes, and now for the underwear. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, gotta go, by. And then they have to seductively eat chocolate whilst telling each other what they like about each other, but the seats are lie detectors and they will know if you are lying. Yeah. And it's like they, they are seductive chocolate carvings of each other. So Rutherford has to eat the, the front part of Tendi and... You know, Tendi has to eat the back part of, of Rutherford, and he just like, and they elevate them on a plinth. Yeah, raise them up, and then and they have to consummate their marriage in a box, so everyone can. It is shuttlecraft bed. It is shuttlecraft bed. Yeah, and it just so happens to be that Maligmimo walked in at the right time. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just ah. Uh, it was so funny. This, I, it, it was, oh, it was just hilarious. The and love then, triangle between Miglymore, Rutherford, and Tendi, and they walk out. She's like, "No, you've ruined it. Yeah. We, we, we pretended to be a couple. You've ruined it. I want to divorce. I want to be with you. No, it's ruined." And Miglymore's like, "Please don't break up because of me. I didn't know." And then at the end of the episode, uh, not the end of that scene. Where the the Ferengi, what did they call him? It was a really weird name. Wasn't oh, what it? It was, the um, what the host? The 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 concierge. concierge. Uh, the um, what was couple. It? Sure, it was concierge or something like that that they said. Um, it's no, a really G yeah. One of the guys on the. <laughs> But it's right at the end where he goes to Miglimore and he's like, oh, would you like to see our packages? And Miglimore just goes, hmm, you don't have to throw up in my mouth twice. <laughs> and that that line has, has haunted me, guys. Because um, my co-host will just go, anytime he sees an offer, he will send me a video. It could be Tesco. It could be... Hugsiege. Hugsiege. That's what it is, yes. Um, but yeah, you don't have to throw up in my mouth twice. Because um, he's a bird, and that's what birds yeah. do. But we do see this is the the first episode of the season where we do see that deep dive into Mariner, um, yeah. who she meets an old Ferengi friend, and he's just like, "Oh, we're just gonna have a light brunch, maybe something to eat." She's just like, "Oh, no, I'm uh, getting smashed. <laughs> I'm going to get smashed. I will get two Cardassian sunrises, and I will get that." The waiter walks away, she's already got a drink, and even he goes, how did you get that? She goes, oh, I don't know. And I love, and again, this is this is what I love about Lodex, they have uh, running gags through the episode. So she throws the glass, it hits someone, and you just go, hey! And that happens like three more times in three different places. Yep. 
Because it happens in the bar, and then it happens at Rutherford and Tendy's Please. meal, yep. where they throw stuff. It's like, hey, <laughs> it's this poor person. Yeah, he's just concussed. a glass man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely concussed everywhere he goes. But it's it's where her friend is sort of concerned because she's like, you you seem to be on this self self deprecating self destruction. Yeah, path of self destruction. You are sabotaging your promotion deliberately why are you doing that you have got friends around you who support you you're in a terrific place and it sort of starts to make uh mariner realize why is she like that what what is deep down because obviously we know she's been promoted then demoted promoted then demoted she's been on five different starships and posts like she's been on ds9 and she's already, you know, she's been promoted and then she's had her heart busted down to, to Ensign again. So it's, why? Why is this happening? And we get a nice little insight to that, but not before, you know, she's absolutely kicked the living earlobes out of a few Ferengis. I love the fact there was a Ferengi biker gang because I just thought, oh, that's biker mice from Mars. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> it is biker mice from Mars. And I love the fact he's... He's built like an outhouse, and he's like, "I'm oh, sorry, I will pay for your drink, please." And I am going to be all kind of proper, and we're really softly spoken, and we're definitely not angry people in any way, shape, or form. It's Boom. <laughs> <laughs> also, Chase Masterson and Max Wojcik are back in Star Trek. What a terrific air plot this was! Oh. What and a terrific plot. The thing I've, I've found hilarious through this, through all of the scenes with them in is we all know Rom isn't an idiot. No. He he might act like an idiot sometimes, but he's actually pretty clever. We know it. We know it. Mm. Brother obviously doesn't. And But anyway, so for him to just be portrayed as a complete and utter moron who only seems to love baseball here I is like hilarious. Baseball. And it was... <laughs> oh, baseball. Do you want to come see my baseballs? Do you want to come see my baseballs? It's just... It was brilliant. And to then have, you know... Um, what's the character... What's Chase's character called? Um, Lita. Lita, thank you. Brain fart. You know, and then to have Lita essentially going, right, and now we're going to do this, 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 and I'm in charge, and Rom's just there as a figurehead, and all he wants to do is talk about baseball. And it was just brilliant. Because it's... It, it flips that whole paradigm about Ferengi culture where females are not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed to wear clothes. They're not allowed to do business, you know. And for them to kind of flip that on its head, where essentially Rom here is just a a figurehead and Lita is the one that's doing everything here, doing all the legwork, I thought was brilliant. And it's, I loved it. It's the first instance probably this season where we see that the mighty Starfleet is not as clever as they think they are and they immediately get drawn into a ruse and again an admiral who should know better should have done his research on uh, uh, Frankie. Or the Frankie as a whole to be fair and it's, it's almost like he's never dealt with them before and just agrees to everything it's insane isn't it like uh, again it's another bad move Freeman was said. there yeah, never get promoted to an admiral because you just turn out to be an absolute moron, it seems. But it's it 
it's the fact he's like, oh, we'll just let him look at some numbers and stuff like that. Oh, yes, we can do that. And then he immediately sting them. They're like, right, Article 2, Subsection 4, we'd have a look at this number and then we're going to do, do this. And he's just yeah. like, yeah. You and the are Admiral's just like, scum. yes, whatever. We just want the Frankies part of the Federation. Just, you can have whatever you want. And then for Freeman to then turn and say, but there's a signing bonus of two billion bars of gold press latinum. And it's just like, that is the ace up the stick. That was, it was just so well done. To out Ferengi the Ferengi. Where free, yeah, where free was like, there was a two million bar gold press latinum signing bonus if you sign up a planet. And Roms is like, do you know how many planets we're in debt to? And she's like, and they just sign away. Rule of acquisition number 289, which by the way, Oh, yeah, they're it. all there, and they are all exactly the numbers and everything like that. So again, Love props, it. props to the writers for knowing the rules of acquisition. Where she goes, uh, ah, you are forgetting rule of acquisition number two eighty nine. Always read the small print, and then the real the small print is like we have to sign up Kronos to the Federation, <laughs> and it's just like everything's null and void, and we finally get revealed that like yes, we don't want to get uh, we don't want to sign any deal with a bunch of rubes, and it's just yeah. like yeah, they they got outplayed. Yeah. So they sign it, and it's like it's it's great, but again, it's it just shows how rubbish that admiral was to not yeah. do the most basic research on the Ferengi and Rom, of all people. But what and I love here is they've left it open for not just yes. lower decks, but any Star Trek franchise to take that further. Well, yeah, because especially in Legacy, exactly. You know, how many years how later would it be to skip forward five years, and the Ferengi are now? part of Starfleet. Obviously, we know Ferengi have served in Starfleet. You know, there's... Nog is a great example, but there are other Ferengis that have served within Starfleet. You know, it would be... Could you imagine... <laughs> could you imagine in that DS9 episode with the whole ship of Vulcans? There's a whole Federation ship for the Ferengi. Well, if Ron <laughs> got the way he won, there would be a Ferengi baseball team. So could you imagine the Vulcans versus the Ferengi as baseball? Ah. I would absolutely <laughs> love it. But, I, I, uh, oh, yeah. I was, it was fresh in my mind. Like, I, I went to see uh, the San Francisco Giants play when I was over there. So it's very fresh in my mind when this came on. Because um, I remember <laughs> I was on the grandstand uh, behind uh, where Catcher is. Yeah. And the first thing I did, I, I immediately got drawn to uh, take me out to the hollow suite. First thing I went was, death to the opposition. And not realising that security is behind you. <laughs> and they're like, they've not seen Deep Space Nine. Why am I saying this out loud? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and it's sort of like, yeah, I would love that. Yeah. To see, if they flesh that, I mean, if we, if we do explore DS9, if we do get, I mean, we will get next to see it's it's, it, it's it a will given. happen at some point. Just it will win. happen. Just to explore the baseball side, just to say, oh yeah, baseball is getting bigger and bigger in Starfleet, and every ship's got a team, and there's a subdivision. <laughs> you know, and the Enterprise the takes Cup. on DS9. And the Cisco Cup. The Cisco Cup. Can you imagine it, though? Like, just like, that would be the ultimate, like, 90s throwback, where it's DS9 versus Voyager. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Enterprise versus Voyager and stuff like that. It's just like, which one's the better series? I mean, T. Really. Like, yeah. I would have to, but no. This was um, this for me. After a, a bottle episode, 
this was a really good it was a standout episode oh, 100%. We, we got to explore not only Ferengana but Ferengi culture and Ferengi life we saw women walking around on Ferengana with clothes on we got which means we've seen what changes Rom has now brought yeah. into Ferengi culture which again but they've left it open which is the best part about this episode and the memorial um, to lost profits. It uh, just that has me so that. much lost money. Not <laughs> the fact that people died. No, the fact that money got lost. That's the more important thing. It's on brand. That's exactly. what I love. That's what I said. Yeah. They, they took every kind of Ferengi trope and threw it at the wall. I loved it. Now, a this few is my badgies least, more. My least favorite episode. Really? Oh, oh it's my like least. my th- second favorite episode of the season. I love badgie. This this could have been this could have been good if we had Badgie as an A plot and something else as a B plot. What we got was two homicidal AIs in the same episode, and I think none of them got the chance to fully flesh themselves out. No, I mean to be fair, I every time I rethink about this episode, I completely forget about. Poxy motherfucking peanut hamper. I hate that character. Please, please don't. Um, and the Agamus plot. I forget about it because the only bit I ever remember from this episode are the three badges, or Badgy good geologically. And, and that's the all. only bits of the episode that I kind of would, you know, always kind of go back to. I completely forget about the subplot. Little do these guys realize, everyone. That if we just had a Jeffrey Combs centric episode of Star Trek where, where, he it, was just, everyone. Yeah. where it was just Wayon, Shran, Agamus, Brunt, we would all be very happy. Oh, yeah. Very, very happy. It just it, it, it frustrated me because Badgie is obviously a legendary character. Yep. Very iconic to lower decks. It's Agamus is is Jeffrey Combs. Who does not? Who doesn't love Jeffrey Combs in any way, shape, or form? Uh, Peanut Hamper couldn't give a flying mm about. Yeah. Um, really, just no, never again. Please, just take her away. Um, I wanted to explore Badgie more with his evolution in this episode. What we got was maybe 15, 12, 15 minutes of that, and then 12, 15 minutes of Agamus and Peanut Hamper. Um, my standout for this episode, though, was Tendi being over the moon over Sam, because that just made me love her so much more. Where she's just she's been kidnapped by an evil AI, she's handcuffed, and she's just like yes, sandcastle, <laughs> and I love that. And, and it, it, it's that tiny bit of joy. even in the most dire situation, it's she finds joy in the yeah. little things, and that's why I love Tendi so much. Um, but very weak episode we do see uh, Badgie after he's wrestled with Logiki and Gucci Gucci and Gucci and the thing is I mean look I mean we all know Badgie's a dick yeah (laughs) and I think it's great that they've kind of evolved him to a point where he can have bugger off yeah because I think the problem is the problem with the character is the way that he was is that no matter where you put him in an episode, you always know something's going to go tits up. Yeah. There's always going to be a... he's Because he's a homicidal maniac at the end of the day. Mm. So for him to now bugger off, I think it's great. And to now have Gucci, 
who we see also throughout the rest of the season. Yes, we do. You know, and I think it's great. And I think it's great that we've now got a new iteration of him that we can now explore and we can poke fun at. And, <laughs> you know. It's part of the crew as well. It's exactly. it's, it's getting insane. Lordex is insane. It's sort of like if Star Trek Online was animated where you've just got a really random away team of like a Klingon Targ, floating exocomps, an Orion, an angry Klingon, a hologram of Dr. Crusher. Do you know what I mean? It's, yep. it's, but it's, every, every one of them has a purpose of being there and they're their own character and stuff. And Star Trek's always been an ensemble cast. This just takes it to the next level. Yeah, exactly. Um, for, for me though, again, praise be to the great Koala, who we see uh, for the second time this season. I love the fact he goes, I might hang out with the queue continuum, I might go to an empty dimension and create a new universe. I don't know. Um, But I love the fact that Agamus is able to conquer a planet within an an hour. Yep. Um, And I love the fact that Tendi and Boimler are so completely not bothered by it, where they're like, oh, yes, you conquered a planet, the Federation could definitely not reverse this in an afternoon. Good for you, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, wow, okay. But they've done it in a way where the entire planet has gone, they've got flags, they've got a throne, they've got subjects, and I'm just like, in an hour. And I don't know who this race is, but, like, dudes, get a backbone. Do you know what I mean? But what I love is that he's this evil AI megalomaniac genius, but the one struggle that he has is turning the LED from red to blue. Yep. He's an MSI desktop. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I'm going to say. And what's weird about it, I'm on an MSI computer, and the worst thing about it is the blue LED. It is so dark, but oh, the right. red LED is so prominent, and you just want Agamus, it's just an MSI. <laughs> but I like the fact that they sort of resolve Peanut Hamper in a way as well. So I think they've taken the feedback from the fans where they're just like, really don't like her. No, it's, uh, to me, the thing that annoys me about it is the fact it's just this weird floating, ex- it's just this weird exocomp that yeah. somehow manages to speak. And it's just, and to be fair, she's a bitch. <sighs> Straight up with the harsh words. But yes, um, but you, I mean, yeah. You go back, I mean, you go back earlier, I mean, um, I, can't, I can't remember what it was. It was in last season, wasn't it, when she first appeared? And Where like, she crashed okay, lands. And you yeah. can help the ship. Now, thanks, I'm just going to teleport out of it. Oh, fine. You know, it's I, just, oh. yeah. It, yeah, just yeah. Ever since then, I just anyway. But California Karen, that's what I used to nickname her. Where yeah. it's just like, I can't do this. This boring me. Came by that day. But yeah, I, I like the fact that sort of like, okay, she's with a family now. They are yeah. buffering windows on a random outpost in a random system. That's the last we hope to hear from Peanut Hamper ever again. Ever. So fantastic on that one. So. My least favourite episode of the season. Wow, another differing opinion from Mike 1 and 2. Caves. They tricked me with this. It has really good bits. Yes. There are really, really good bits. I love the fact they poke holes that it's a... Oh, it's a cave. (laughs) You know, everyone hates cave missions, which I thought was great. You know, it was... 
the flashback scenes, my favourite flashback scene was Tendy's. That you was know, so... Going cool. back to the very beginning, I loved, I really did. It was great to see, and I'm really struggling for the aliens' names. I can't remember they're called from the animated series. The Vendorians. Thank you, the Vendorians. Brain fart. It was great to see the Vendorians, and also the fact that they've kind the of had a little bit yes, of a makeover. Yes. But in a good way. They haven't ruined it or anything like that. It was great to see them. I just thought it was a slow episode. It, For me, it dragged a bit. It was meh with lots of good bits and that's my only gripe with it and i think it was the slowest episode of the season the, this in my opinion after a few badges more seeing this and we said this on on, on our show where it was it was two eh, episode but not bad 70 to 80 correct out of yeah, as i said it's not a bad episode i didn't yeah. like it um, and it's my least favourite episode of the season, for sure, followed very closely by um, episode five, yeah, and Pathological Fallacies. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that it was a great prelude and a great gap filler to what would become an incredible season finale. And it's almost like that they had the rest of the season planned out and there was a gap. And they needed a bottle episode, and the best bottle episodes, as we know, are cave episodes, which is why I think it was in there. I just felt like it was almost like a little bit of an afterthought because it didn't really have anything else to do with the rest of the season. This... All of these episodes throughout the season have all carefully kind of intertwined themselves together a little bit, not necessarily through this overarching plot of this mysterious ship, but the fact that they've all been, you know, exploring their promotions all the way through different elements of it, like from, you know, they get promoted in the next episode, they're trying to find their quarters. So these really subtle nods to this promotion and the fact that how they're going to work as a group of friends and that all throughout the episode. And then we have this one, which is like, yep, you're in a cave with three flashbacks with one flashback that's relevant to a point to the rest of the season. So if, if this was... For, for me, go, going back to TV and film, if this was a live-action episode, this would be the episode where the budget was sacrificed the most because, right. A, we took a percentage of this episode's budget on episode one and episode ten. Correct. So this one is the bottle. It's got to be a flashback. They did trick us because as soon as they were in a cave and as soon as they started going on about it, I was like, it's going to be a flashback episode. It's going to be a flashback. We're going to see season one, season two, season three. Blah, blah, blah. They did curve it to say it's a flashback to stuff you have not seen. Correct. Yeah. But it's also poking fun at Star Trek, where it's just like, yeah, like one fifth of our episodes are always in case taking the mick out of Planet Hell at, at, yeah. at the Paramount lot. Where, and as I said in my episode, that the, the stage that they use was the stage that they used to use for uh, town scenes with cars. Yes. And the nickname is because when they were filming a Marlon Brando film, a load of people got sick and they didn't know why. And it was only till they realised we're in a closed stage with running V8 engines, everyone was getting carbon monoxide poisoning. Yep. Uh, that was then used for Planet Hell uh, from TNG onwards. Yep. So it had a pit. Um, uh, that's the, It's famously where uh, season one... 
get in the name where Tasha died? Um, yes. Um... The 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 the, the tarpit, basically, where Riker was lowered in, and he was like, "Dude, this this effing sucked um, doing this." But it's that pit where they can create a cave, and they poke fun of that, where they just say, "Oh, all caves look the same. Oh, well, one fifth of our missions are all caves," and it's like, "Yes, because every Star Trek." from the original series has had cave episodes. TNG onwards was more prominent with it because they yep. had the studio and they were like, we're going to use it, we're going to redress it. Exactly. So, But it's a nice flashback and it's a nice dig to say, we all get trapped in caves a lot more than people really think. And it's like, oh, well, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when I was pregnant with Tatana's baby? And everyone's like, but we get this... There's been, they're all Lieutenant JGs, they're all working independently, they don't get to work with each other. There is that friction because they're like, oh, well, I forgot to tell you this because I've been so busy. I, busy. And, yeah. and again, going back to when um, they were on uh, Vexillion, you know, in the Cradle of Vexillion, where they're like, uh, it's, you know, dealing with managing people, dealing with sacrifice, dealing with uh, tasks and everything like that, being his. Again, this is the social side of getting promoted where you don't see the friends you used to see at work any uh, you know a lot that you used to if, you, if anyone's works in a big office you get teams those teams get a shake about because people like to people move teams to keep people on the toes uh just shake it up a bit you get used to a team they move you when you get promoted or stuff you don't see those team members anymore because you're working on another floor, on another uh, project or something like that. This is another angle where they are all great friends, but they don't see each other as much and they don't get to go every day, well, I did this, I did that, I did that. So they get annoyed because they're like, well, I thought we were friends and we told each other, but everyone has got their own story that they have forgot to tell each other. Uh, Mariner hanging out with Delta Shift, uh, Rutherford getting... Pregnant. pregnant with Tavana's child, yeah. Uh, which, which was, I love, but as I said, there were really good bits to the episode, mm. like that flashback. That flashback was brilliant. I loved it. I mean, actually, to be fair, I loved all the flashbacks, to be honest with you. They're all funny in their own way. You know, um, Rutherford's flashback is, is definitely by far the best one. Yeah. Um, but Boimler's flashback was great. Um, Mariner's flashback, yes, it was good, but it was a bit... The leg. Aunt <laughs> with the leg. The, <laughs> the noises. Leg How much celery did the Foley artist go through to simulate <laughs> that scene? Yeah, there's, there's that a lot must, of That must have been an amazing salad afterwards because it was just literally that all it. And I was like, oh, please, stop. But I, I get what you mean where... Only one of them was relevant. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but this was the bottle. If, if, oh, 100%. If the pathological fallacies was a, considered a bottle, this was the proper narrowest bottleneck. This was, yeah. this was Shuttle Pod 1, but without the amazing building of friendship and bonding between two people because obviously that was a season one episode yeah. but this was just this was another example of you are being promoted these are the difficulties people have when they are promoted they lose touch with people yeah. um, but we do get it uh, reconciled at the end 
and then we see the Vendorians finally relieve. Again, this was another trap. Exactly. Uh, this was another morality test, as they are so fond of doing. Everyone loves a morality test. But this but, leads... And that, as I said, that, that if, in my, for me, is probably one of the weakest episodes of the season. But because it's the prelude to what comes next. My favourite episode of the season. Which is the inner fight. What a name. I know. First and foremost, right, you've got a TNG reference yep. and you've got the perfect reference for Mariner. Mariner, yep, 100%. But I do have issues with this episode. Ooh, what are those? But. Ooh, tease. Only because at the time we didn't have this week's episode. Yes. Now, this week's episode clears up some of the annoyances that I had from last week's episode. Mike McCannon did say this was technically a two-parter. I know he did. I know. So, but... Yeah. I think they should have streamed them together. I agree. Yeah, definitely. And I think that would have made life... would have made it a lot better. But my initial gripe was that we go pretty much through the entire episode. We find, you know... So we'll start at the beginning, you know, we go to this alien land, where uh, alien planet, sorry, where there are, what are they called? What are those creatures called? The the lizards. The, yeah. uh, but the, apparently these, I mean... These who, incredibly dangerous lizards who have super poisonous skin that would vaporise you if it gets... They, they, they have a neurotoxin on yeah. their skin uh, and they have corrosive acid as blood and yep. if they touch you, your eyes pop out. And like Boimler yep. and Mariner quite say, there is a entire galaxy full of weird creatures you could study. Why dedicate You came here, life? why? <laughs> um, but it's, it's straight away, it's with Mariner, because they fixed the perimeter shield. Yep. Not well, I may add, because no one sealed the circuit wires. They bite through to the perimeter shield's breach, and it's. I loved what I loved was the scientist where he's like, I love these creatures, I love these creatures, and they breach it. And he's just like, I hate these things. <laughs> yeah, I love the TOS spacesuits are now like anti venom suits yeah. as well. Um, but it's it's the fact that Mariner goes all gun ho and sacrifices herself, draws all these lizards out, yeah, uh, saves uh, Everybody. restores the perimeter shield comes back and goes, oh, do we have any, like, baking soda or whatever she says? And then there's just one there that just goes for the dude's head. What got me about this is how nonchalant Boimler was, where he's just like, I've got it. <laughs> the dude's eyes are popping out. And he's just like, yeah, I've got it. Yeah, but, um, yeah, to to for Freeman to go, why is my daughter trying to... Kill herself. Sit, oh, I, I tend to stay away from that on YouTube. I sit on a live. Oh, okay. Or alivent. Because when we, when we do a live stream, YouTube... Why is she trying to deceased herself? Yes. You, YouTube is all, always watching, guys. Watching, judging, judging, waiting. Um, and if you say the about. and if you say the uh, S word or K word in terms of that, yeah. I don't like it, so I say unalive or alivent, as okay. we like to say. Fine. Um, so, deceasting themselves. Deceasting. Oh, I like that one. That's yeah, deceasting. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, um... Freeman is like, why is my daughter trying to deceased herself? Um, and everyone's like, we know. 
So you've noticed that too, huh? Yeah. Oh, we, we just saw yeah. it was her character that she's just some stranger that likes to try and kill herself on many occasions a week. But um, I love the fact that they go, you know, well, well, how about therapy with Miglimon? And I was like, well, that's going to have to wait because we found the intel. Starfleet's got some intel uh, in regards to the ship stealing and I sort of freaked out a little bit when I saw all the names. Yep. So um, the names were Thomas Riker. Nick Lacano. Nick Lacano. Or as I called him, Meccano. Nick Meccano. Do you know what? I was on a, just on a quick side note, right? I was recording my um, my episode for last week. And I ended up, it's, it's an outtake. And I literally went, and then, yes, and then Nicholas Meccano. And I literally went, Meccano. <laughs> I was like, whatever. I had to cut it out of the episode. Because it's like... <laughs> So there's a little segment where you can see I'm still kind of giggling afterwards while I'm trying to re-record it because I've just called him Nicholas Meccano. Yes, he transforms himself into a helicopter then into a car. Um, <laughs> Only like... the British people will understand. Yes. Um, for those who don't know, Meccano is a uh, building set. Not like Lego, it's metal with screws and nuts and bolts and you can make helicopters. I remember having it's, it as a kid. It's like Metal Connects. I yeah, yeah, but with yeah. nuts and bolts that that could slice you in half if you weren't careful. But we were hard back in the eighties. Yeah, I mean, I had one with a helicopter with blades that span, and you could put your finger in it. Bloody hurt! Um, yeah, they gave you an engine for wheels, and you're just like, this is for seven-year-olds. Brilliant. Um, but anyway. yeah, we get uh, Beverly Crusher, Beverly Thomas Crusher. Riker, Thomas Riker, Nick Lacano, Nick Lacano, ah, Nick Lacano, and <laughs> Seven of Nine. Yeah, and I saw the name and and. What I loved about this was obviously this is 2381 at this stage, and it's like we, you know, this ship is now targeting ex Starfleet. So you go, right? So again, you've acknowledged that Beverly Crusher is no longer Starfleet, but we know where she is. Yeah, well, well, Starfleet doesn't. Well, yeah, but they do, really, they they do. But what I'm saying, we can we know where all these characters are with the exception of one Thomas Riker. We know Thomas Riker was in the Cardassian prison. Yeah, we know where he is. He's in a Cardassian prison. <laughs> yeah, I thought. I we thought don't know I'm... what, we, but we don't know what's going on with Nick Lacano. The last time we saw Lacano, I was, freaked out when I saw that. You are that's it. You're out of Starfleet. Thanks very much. Goodbye. See you later. And that, that was it. And then that's well, the last we see of Lacano. Well, we think because uh, as much as Boimler says, he's like, we're going to meet Beverly Crusher, and it's just like, no, the Vancouver's dealing with. Yeah. Uh, we are going for Nick Meccano and it's sort of like oh you want to meet the big name no here's the subplot from season 5 uh, so <laughs> of TNG um, and they bring him up and I, I first thing I saw and I was like that's Bob McNeil yep they, they're going to tackle the Bob McNeil Paris Lacano um, conundrum yep don't go too far into that because we need to discuss that next on the yes. next episode but I, I explained but, it in depth in my episode and I was freaking out telling everyone because they were like is he finished yet no I am not I am going to continue this tangent for another hour but uh, yeah so they are tasked to finding uh, they are tasked with finding uh, Lacano. I keep wanting to say Lacano now damn you Mike one <laughs> um, but that's the Cerritos's job Freeman wants to distract Mariner and yep. they want to they want the lower decks help to send Mariner on the most boring job possible to keep her safe. Yep. So then you go, oh. Causes a weather station's malfunctioned. Can't get any more boring than that. Although to be fair, Michael Burnham started a war with such things. So 
you know, just saying. Well, that was a stop space relay, I suppose. But anyway, but still. It's, it's uh, now. Do you call it a boy or a buoy? Buoy. I called it David Bowie because we just well, could not settle an argument, so we just henceforth named it David Bowie. David Bowie. And, and we called the planet that was just, let's be honest, Tatooine, Durham. So we. Uh, <laughs> we <laughs> I'll get, no. I'll, I'll, I'll get to why we called it Durham in a minute, but yeah, so they, they, um, I love the fact that Mariner's like, whoop, whoop, girls trip, and Boimler. And Boimler, yeah. So, and then they go and repair this thing, and she's just sitting there on, you know, side of the shower going, why is this so boring? Where's the danger, guys? But there is danger lurking behind mm. a cloaking device. Yeah. Because Tendi detects that the weather boy or David Bowie has been tampered with. Dun, dun, and, dun. Like, ooh, and then you see the Klingons are watching them and they're like, ooh, the Klingons are involved in this. A cunning little B plot. We have but no idea. This is licked. Klingon missing. There was a Klingon missing. On the planet? No, but the thing I noticed, well, I don't know about you, is as soon as we go to that warbird of prey, yeah. going, we've seen them last season. Hmm. Uh, sorry, no, we saw them earlier this season, but where's the captain gone? And that was the first thing that came to my mind because there was that whole episode, wasn't there, where he takes where he um, the Targ then obviously then kills the captain, doesn't he? And he takes over. Yes. So we saw them last season. Yeah, that was the first thing that came to my mind is going, Well, where's the captain gone? Because the first officer then became captain because he killed the cap, the Targ defended him against the captain. Now that might have just been fresh in my mind because I'd finally got my other half into lower deck, so we've been rewatching it. So I love that. Um, but it's the they... same same bird of prey, same characters. So that's on Sherville Five. Yep. The the planet Shervil is five, new, yeah. the the planet that the Cerritos goes to is New Aston. I love the fact again. This is another another iteration of this is a non-Federation world. Yep. Uh, Shaq scores are ah, new Aston, twice as dangerous as old Aston, but half the charm. And I'm like, okay. I love the fact they rock up uh, to the ring, which is the entrance to the planet. And again, they get a dressing down. Yep. Uh, and this is why we call this is why we call new new Aston Durham, because they rock up to the the entrance to the planet, and they are instructed to park on the second moon and take a shuttle. Anyone who ventures into Durham, it's like. You don't park in Durham, you go to the park and ride and get the slowest bus in the world into Durham City Centre. To be fair, so, you can say the same thing about Guildford. Guildford is exactly the same. You don't yeah. park in Guildford, you get the, you get the park and ride. So they are they are forced to uh, get... They are forced to park at the, the, <laughs> the Durham Park and Ride and take, let's be honest, Luke Speeder without the side thrusters down to Tatooine that's now got three sons. The orchestra is playing a new hope, remastered and changed a little bit as well. And I'm like, everyone, every review I've seen, Star Wars. Yep. Star Wars. Star Wars. Because even Sherbel 5, towards the end, that's the Imperial Station from Endor. <laughs> there's the dish <laughs> where's the shuttle that does the butterfly <laughs> permission to land like a dainty butterfly granted ah, that was nice um, 
But so yeah, and again, Starfleet gets a dressing down because we see Mud's Bar, a nice little reference to Mud's Bar. Yep. We see Bosk. We see Bosk from Star Wars. We see a bar that is the cantina. Yeah, literally. Um, and Starfleet gets this dressing down. Uh, they are looking for the information. I love the fact that this empty bar's got a two-hour waiting list, so I called it TGI Tatooine. It's, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's again. It's, it? You can never just walk into a TGI's and just sit down. How dare you think that? Who who are you? Some no. non-federation bounty hunter? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Though? Why is it you could never walk into a Friday's and sit down straight away? Why is it you always have to wait? Even if there's like two people in there, you still have to wait. Well, what are they doing? Are they building the table for you? I mean, oh, you need to know the right people, my friend. That's yeah. what you you need to come in with a trekking up north T-shirt to like off my liege. Come, come, to, come to the booth. Well, you've got the booth next to the motorcycle, please, my liege. Um, yes, that is a canoe. Don't worry, it won't fall yet. Um, but yeah, it again. But it, we see an example of because this is a non-federation world, and they've rocked up as. Uh, it's full Starfleet. I love the fact that Freeman's like, oh, me and my crew here, we're going to shoot down some drinks after we've done a raid. And he's like, you are clearly Starfleet. You're in a Starfleet. Yeah. But it's nice to see an episode where they get a full dressing now as a huge Starfleet people think you can go anywhere and dress. This is not the Federation. This is not your planet. Um but back on Sherbal Five, where we get the where the, the they were attacked by the Klingon bird of prey, yep, which had a mysterious star symbol on the side of the wing, and I, I was looking at that and I was like, mm. I've seen that before. I've seen that before. The shuttle blows up, they go uh, onto the planet, and they realise that this planet is inhabited by all these different alien races that we have seen before throughout the season. Yep. We really had that inkling, didn't we, that the ships were no longer, they weren't being destroyed, they were being stolen. So we had mm. that from mm. earlier in the season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, and yeah, they land on this planet and there are all of these, spe you know, there are all of these alien species that are now fighting against each other for resources. But for me, this episode, the highlight for me was Mariner. Um, and how, and I mean, again, this is a testament to the writers and how well they know Star Trek, how they so beautifully linked an obscure, well, I wouldn't say obscure, but lovable character from Lower Decks, Season 7, linked it with Mariner, and then I mean, also linked it with Lacan. You mean, strange, uh, you mean um, yeah, it's not Lower Decks, that's uh, The Next Generation. No, that's the episode Lower Decks, yeah, from season seven. Of, oh, uh, right, yes, yes, it's the episode yeah. Lower Decks. Sorry, the way you made it, the way you said Sorry, it. Sorry, yeah, yeah. How about we talking about Lower Decks season seven? Wait, you've seen three seasons ahead of us? What wrong with you, man? Um, it was, no. but it was a, it was, it blew my mind. Uh, and it was beautiful the way they did it because when you think about it, yes, Mariner and Seto would roughly be about the same age in 2380, 2381. So they would have been at the Academy together. And we realise that the the root of Mariner's issues, the core of her being self-destructive, is that Seto was an ensign. She was sent on an away mission uh, to be a, a, a spy. Yeah. She was killed by Cardassians. And 
Mariner does not want to be put in a position where she sends her friends to die, so she sabotages every promotion she has. Uh, and, you know, Starfleet was about exploring strange new worlds, studying botany, studying plants, you know, and, and science, essentially. We are, we are not there for war. And it's really sad to think that Mariner wanted to be a captain and she wanted to be a scientist and she wanted to... I mean, she was a Xeno... Uh, uh, was it a Xeno... Not an archaeologist, it was a Xeno... Anthropologist. Anthropologist. That Which was her to be major. the same thing as Michael Burnham, just as a side note. Yeah. Yeah, and Michael both... Burnham was a Xeno anthropologist yeah. in season one of Discovery. But, but it's... It's the fact that that's what she wanted to do, and um, she modelled herself over Cetor, and her life took a dive when she found out that this, this person who she revered and loved as a friend died, and then all the way through her Starfleet career, because this is 13 years, like, like in the TNG era, this is 13 years of like, yeah. wow, we have had so Cardassians, Borg, yeah. Dominion, and she yeah. has seen much. And then this is my first gripe with this episode. Ooh, do tell. So we have this wonderful scene where they've just got through the glass rain. <laughs> I love Stabbed that. again. Yeah, but don't forget, I mean, um, Neptune's supposed to have glass rain, so or ice rain. Uh. But anyway... So you get through this again, and you know she's, you know, her and the Klingon—I can't remember his name—but they're having a heart to heart. She opens up, and she just happens to casually mention Sito. Now, the way that it's put into this episode is, a, it to me came across as a complete and utter afterthought, and they shoved the name in for the sake of shoving a name in. However, bear with me, and. It also ages Mariner significantly because we're talking 13 years here. Now, a lower decker normally would get through Academy and everything, age of 18, 19. They did question this, though, in one of the earlier episodes because when Mariner mentioned that she was posted on DS9, do you remember when she, she broke yep. one of Worf's swords? Yeah. Uh, and Boymiller just said, just how old are you? Now, Tony Newton in real life is 40. Yeah. In, and, and I did the math. No way does she look forty. No, she's incredible. Um, but I did the maths on this last week, and I and I said I I don't know where I said it, but I was sat there because it was racking my brain, and I was like, she's 32, 33 years old, at least, yeah, at least, and she's an ensign. So Brad Boimer and everything, everyone like that, they're in nineteen. Early twenties, I would say the out the very least, at the very most, early twenties. Yeah. Because um, you think three years at the academy, and then they've been on the Cerritos for a year or three two. Years. So I would say twenty. Yeah. So but, but that still makes her at least ten years older. At yeah. least ten years older. Yeah. And that's the kind of the way that the character is written makes her sound like she is the same age as everyone else the way that she acts and the way that the character is written you would forget that she is 10 years older than Boimler but it also plays into the case of she is an ensign because she's been demoted she just wants to be yes she is immature 
she just wants to be a lower decker she doesn't want the responsibility and obviously anyone who has friends who it's going to sound really mean but it's if you have friends who they left school didn't go to college yep and then you have friends who left school and went to college and you compare them there's that degree of emotional maturity because they've moved on and they've moved up you then have those high school friends who never really matured past a certain point and i'm not like being nasty or anything it's like you see that you see that maturity level with mariner she is actively chose to stay there and chose to be immature but there is gleamings yes throughout the the whole run of lower decks where she can be mature but she fights it she fights it deep down she is I would say, like, I mean, I, I'm 35, so in this, she's a couple of years younger than me, and I, I will be like, yeah, she is immature for her age, but she's deliberately being immature, and she's fighting the need to be mature, and it does come through. But for me, the the mention of Seto, it was seamless, and as we find out throughout the episode, it ties in to Lacano and. As I said, that, what I said in my episode last week was I felt that they threw, and I don't necessarily feel that now. Now I've seen episode ten. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, it almost felt like well, because Locarno is in this episode, they've just thrown Cito in for good measure. They, yeah. It's almost like they needed a name, and uh, well, you know, Cito just so happens to be, you know, one of the, you know the only other person that was in and around Locarno that died. Yeah. And that's how it that's how it came across. Yeah. It just it just felt like they just shoehorned the name in for the sake of it. Yeah. The rest of the episode and that, that's the only gripe. That's the only bad thing I can say about this episode was the fact that they just that's how it came across. I think it could have been written in slightly better. Yeah. Um and I think if it if it'd been written in slightly different, and I think if we'd had maybe some flashback, like we saw this week, not maybe to that level, but a little bit of flashback, I think that would have helped. I think they kept Lucano a mystery too long. Yes, I think I Lucano think... should have come in. Yeah, you know, even just two, three, three or four minutes earlier would have made a big difference yeah but props on them for having Robert Duncan McNeil back oh yeah for Nick, for Nick Lacano yeah props on them for his symbol being the Corvault uh, starburst yeah which that. I thought was brilliant yeah I love the fact that Marin, when she's beamed into beamed on board the ship she's like you know holy minimalist hell yep. I love the fact that again no offense, straight- if I was to have a starship that's how it would <laughs> I, I love I love the fact that you know the Cerritos uh, B plot is just literally a new hope, and we go to the Rebel base. Yeah, um, and we see you know we get the reveal that it is Nick Lacano who's who is doing this. But also the thing I loved about it is the whole thing about Freeman and that being on the planet in full Starfleet uniform was on purpose because Billups was in and he was that mercenary, which I just he- love. He was the Mandalorian. He was the mercenary or Billups. Come on. <laughs> he was the Mandalorian of Star Trek. Exactly. That's what he was. Yeah. It was it was a it was a nice little plot twist. Yeah. Um 
Also, props to Balok's puppet. Yep. Uh, from the Corbinite maneuver, uh, and realizing that you know Ruthven is just like uh, Captain. That's a real person. Shaking this. Yeah. Yeah, Starfleet. You could think you could shake anyone who you want about, but uh, yeah. I'm not going to sell this information to you. <laughs> but but going into old friends' new planets this yeah. week. It the yeah. In great see it was also longer as well. It, it was, was it was bang minutes. on thirty. Thirty minutes, which I love. Yeah. It was a cracking end. I tell you, it was a really good end to what has been an incredible season. It was I had looked forward to this a lot. And I I was first I mean obviously Robert Duncan McNeil was in it. Yep. I was excited. Also, just on that one, just let's just quickly cover guest stars on this episode. Oh there my god. Three <laughs> guests. With, so there were some great guest stars. You got Robbie Duncan McNeil. Will Wheaton was back in this was in this episode. Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. <laughs> with his cool no, um, <laughs> That's how I want to say it every time I say Wheaton. Um so you know, and and Sita was in this episode. Um, I can't remember um, the actress's name. I, but, I can't remember. She she but, did get a special guest mention. She did. Yeah. So you've got essentially the whole Star um, Starboard Cobras crew were back in this episode with an incredible flashback. And as I said, I think if that if some of that flashback had just been in last week's episode, I think it would have swayed things. But it was a great flashback. And what I loved here is we've got so used to seeing Mariner being this boisterous want to kill herself person to then see her as a really young immature kid and go oh I'm going to do this it's going to be incredible and it's just like <laughs> it was wonderful it was brilliant it, it was really was and if anyone's if anyone's been in a job I mean I, 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 I've been in this situation where you've gone into a job and you are full of hope and you are full of optimism <laughs> and you are bubbly and then 10 Six years later, later. <laughs> Yeah, ten years later, you just like if this place burned down tomorrow, I would actually be over. I yeah. could sleep. Um, so to see the a, a bubbly and optimistic mariner, as, as she was as a cadet, um, it made me relate to her more. Yep, definitely. Um, but what I it, it was a beautiful flashback. It set it up. It was like 13 years ago. This is season five of TNG. They are planning the Colbert, Colbert, uh, Colbert Starburst. We actually see an alive Josh. Yeah, uh, Josh. Uh, Will Wheaton. Josh Albanek. Yeah, Will Wheaton. Shut up, Will. Um, but it, it's sort of it, it. It's it's nice, and then we get back to uh, Lacano's ship, where really. It's it's nice for my to go. I didn't even know you at Starfleet yeah. Academy. I barely knew you. Um, and then he's going, but you were practically an honorary member of Nova Squad. It's like, what are you what about, man? Yeah, and and I love the fact that because um, obviously he's got Nova Fleet. What I really liked because for ever since Voyager started, because everyone knows why Tom Paris exists. Yeah, we know why he exists. But the theories have always been there, and it's plagued ever since Voyager started that Lacano Paris 
conspiracy theory. You know, is it yeah. is it Lacano with a changed name? Well, why did his father change his name? Blah 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 blah. I love the fact that Lower Decks doesn't mince words. Just nope. has Rutherford and Boiler just go. Rutherford just going. It looks like Tom Paris. No, I don't see it. But it, it, it looks like it's, it's his face. I don't. I, I don't. I don't really see. It. But he's got the voice of Tom Paris. Yeah, but he literally looks like Tom, Tom Paris. Paris. I don't see, don't it. see it. No. And that's it. Yeah. It's brilliant. They just move on, yeah. and it's like, do you know? That's but, a theme. That is that. That is a strong theme throughout this entire show. Yeah. It really is, but don't it's also stick around. They just do it. They do it well and move on, and they don't drag it on like other shows do. But it's also a thing for real life because you do get doppelgangers in real life. You do get people who look the same, and it's just that that thirty-year-old, nearly thirty-year-old theory where it's like, well, now they've got to say that it's a transporter accident. Sorry, it's bad. It's like. No, they just look similar. Okay, moving on. And they just carry on with it. And I think that's wonderful that they've just like, they've not taken anything away from Tom Paris and they've not taken anything away nope. from Nick Lacano. And it's like, Lacano is pissed. He's got a fleet of United Lower Deckers. He's got all these ships, the Romulan uh, Warbird, um, upside, uh, vertical, uh, vertical Warbird. Warbird. And he's got this impenetrable shield around the star system. How he's done essentially a Dyson sphere around the star system, I don't know. Binars, that's all I'm going to say on that yeah. one. Or trinars. Trinars, yeah. Um, but I love the fact he's, he's summoning everyone in the quadrants, all yeah. these lower deckers, all these under, underappreciated people. Do you to, hate being ignored by your superiors? Come and join me in this, be your this own silly boss. star system that's covered with this impenetrable shield. Be your own boss. Join Nova Fleet. You know, again, for the British viewers, the Avon <laughs> of Star Trek. <laughs> be your own boss. We'll give you a starter kit. Yeah. This is not a pyramid scheme. But where for you, yeah. Yeah, uh, wink. Um, <laughs> but, but it's again a, a nice little A B part with this one where they they need to find a way to penetrate this you know this shield. Yep. The Cerritos goes to Orion. The second visit to Orion. Yep. And uh, and Mariner is trying to find a way to escape. Well, he's so got a Genesis device. So he's got the Genesis device that we saw earlier on in season five, uh, uh, season six. Season sorry. sorry, season four. Uh, sorry, episode six. Oh, episode six. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the Ferengi Genesis device. Ferengi Genesis device that happens to have a paywall. That was hilarious. <laughs> um. <laughs> Activate ins insert two strips. You put a paywall on a bomb. <laughs> I love that. Um. And I just thought it was, I thought it was brilliant that Baron, you know, that, that he's on this call, you know, this 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 Zoom call to the to the quadrant, as, as I was going to call it. Call. It's the only way I could describe it. But anyway, so he's on this subspace communication with the entire quadrant, going, "Come and join me." Raise your hand if you device. want to join. <laughs> he's got this Genesis device. He's essentially kidnapped Mariner to a point. Yeah. And Mariner's like, and then he goes, now, and I've got Mar Beckett Mariner here. Go on, tell them all about it. And then she goes, no, fuck you. Grabs the Genesis device. <laughs> yeah, Genesis <runs>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
and happens to go onto a ship that we very rarely see, which is Steam, Steam Runner class. Steam Runner class. Guys, when we're on about the sad ramp scoops and windows, the Steam Runner class is, is like, you don't want a quarter on this ship. You don't. Because, I mean... I love the fact. I mean, this this is what I like, and this is all props to Ben Robinson yeah. from from Eagle Moss, uh, formerly Eagle Moss, where the files because the Steam Runner was part of the first Contact League. Yeah, the files were lost by Foundation uh, and ILM, um, so it was never ever recreated. So we never ever saw it outside of uh, Star Trek First Contact. No, yeah, exactly. It was a it's a really, really quirky, wonderful little show. I mean, I covered the model. Obviously, I've got a model. I've got a wall of bankruptcy, as I call it. But <laughs> the it's nice that because it was recreated for season two of Picard. Yep. So Eagle Moss recreated it for the, the magazine and the model. They donated those files to CBS Paramount, yep. who they got found. Uh, I don't think it is. Is it Foundation Imaging that they use still? I've recreated that, and then obviously Lower Decks have gone, we're going to use it, and we just get this beautiful, like, half-painted red. Is that the whole story? Because the Steam Runner was in Star Trek Legacies video game from 2006. Yeah, what? but that the for, for live action, the, the details, because it was supposed to be background in First Contact, so it wasn't very detailed. Right. So they, what they did was when Eagle Moss were making the first contact fleet, so the uh, Steam Runner, the USS Budapest, which is the yeah. Norway class, Norway class yeah. they didn't have any renders. So what sure. to get around that, they built, they, they actually rendered and built a detailed model of the ship, yeah. gotcha. then sent them to be made as models. And gotcha. then when Dave Blass came on for season two of Picard, he was like, I need a lot of... Cause season one was the Control C and V fleet. Now, command copy, command paste, yep. But, I mean, that was done within a week. You know, yep. they, they were against the wall on that. It was the dawn of the pandemic and everything was going on. They could have gone back and redone it, but it was already cut print, whatever. So Dave Blast was like, I need a load of ships. They went to Eagle Moss and Star Trek Online. Yep. So that's why a load of Star Trek Online ships are in Picard and the Royal Cannon. Yeah. Brilliant for me because I, I knew I knew, I knew that I just I didn't know the story about the steam runner. So yeah, so they went to Eagle Moss, who had all these high high res renders, yeah. fully rendered in three D of these ships, and they were like, "You can have them." So they used them in uh, Star Trek Picard. Gotcha. So it was the that's why you see uh, the Nova class and the steam runner class. Yep. And then, obviously, you see more greater detail in yeah. uh, other fleets. But to see this in lower decks, uh, my my heart just filled because it's like Literally, the, uh, what I got. What I loved about it was is we just see this strange silhouette. We don't really yeah. know what it is. And then all of a sudden, Mariner's beamed on board, starts it up. And we get blue L cars, yeah. like um, Enterprise E blue L cars, yeah, which I loved. So there's like that. So we've got all of this. So we go okay. So we instantly know that this is an older ship. Yep. 
or a older style of ship. And it's, then it's all a very of a sudden, first contact bridge color scheme as well. Yeah, yeah. it's all that deep maroon and that. Yes, and then all I of a sudden, it pans out and she flies out, and it's a steam runner. And I literally went, "It's a steam runner." Yeah, I was, I was like, "I was a steam runner." Um, but before we get to that, I love the fact that Nickel Cannon says, "Oh, I've done away with all the star, you know, the Starfleet carpeting and the padded walls," and I'm like, "Yeah, animals." Yeah, you bastard. Yes. <laughs> He's like, bring back the carpets. We um, love the carpet. I love the carpet. But it was a steam runner class, and she's running away with a Genesis device. And this is where. Strapped in on a seatbelt in the first. Yeah. <laughs> and, if, and if last week was a new hope, this week was the Emperor. Wrath of Khan. Yeah. And it was the Wrath of The music in this was. Mwah. Yep. Absolutely. Music was brilliant. Because Tendi has to do a f uh, nominates for a, f uh, a bargaining by combat because they need help from the Orions. They need a battleship from the Orions because Starfleet doesn't want anything to do with it because there's a load of alien races involved and they're just we don't want to cause an interstellar conflict. So they do a bargain by, com bargain by combat where they just use Miglio because... I tell you what, that that whole that little snippet, you got this super butch, massive Orion, almost like Wonder Woman sized person. And then they go, Yes, and I'm having Malignimo, and I'm going, What? <laughs> but it was so clever because she's like, she's got an allergy to down. And he's just like, puff yourself up, but it's embarrassing. Puff yourself up. <laughs> take this, you brute, take this, and she just but she passes out on him. Meaning that she's pinned him and he's lost. So Tendi, after the mission, after she saved stuff, has to sacrifice. Has to go back to the Orions um, to serve under a sister. Not happy about by the way. No, and they do get a starship, but it is an absolute wreck. And then you get Rutherford and Lefik having a massive argument on how to restore this starship. What are the priorities? And Tillin goes, I've got an idea of how to solve this conundrum. Hang on. And of all the people to suggest it, Tillin. Tillin. <laughs> He's so warming to it. The twins. The, the twin twins off. are back. The twin twins. And they say, we have reached, we have arrived at an amicable situation, I do declare. I love that. If I don't see at STLV two twins having an argument, that has to be a cosplay for next year. Are we? Are we, dress, are we? Are we dressing up as twins? Shall we have a twin off? We have a twin off. Shall we? In Las Vegas, in forty-five degree heat, where eighteenth, <laughs> century twins. Twin. <laughs> I could totally do that. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Those who don't know, Mike One and Mike Two are going to Star Trek Las Vegas next year. That's right. It's, mm. it's when podcasts collide. Yes. It's, uh, but we're going to have a tour. Uh, my co-host costume, I will keep a secret. All I'm going to say is he needs to be careful because he will melt. Yes. So a lot of air conditioning and fans are going to be needed to support him in his transport to the real, to STLV. But I think we should have a tour. Or a bucket, twins. one of the two. <laughs> there is a bucket involved, but that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. And it's hey, not Odo. No, uh, but yeah, so they solve they solve this dilemma of how to restore the ship with a twin twain off, um, and I love the fact that Freeman just goes, "Why does this always work?" 
<laughs> because, um, what was it? It was an illogical situation helps with logical ideas or something yeah, like that. I love I, that. I thought that was brilliant. I just loved it. I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. Outside of the box thinking, guys, always yeah. works. In real life, it always, yeah. always works. Um, but, oh, and then, so the, you go from that. So you've now got Mariner on the run from the rest of Nova Fleet. Um, happens to go into this planet with this with this orbiting Ion storm yeah. yeah with this weird it kind of do you know what the debris looked like to oh me? yes yeah yeah the, the debris it looked titan like COVID 19. i'm gonna say titan ae yeah true but i i i do think it you let's hide in a pandemic yeah let's let's not um <laughs> yeah it did God, look like it really did. <laughs> but i i saw it because what because she hides and then when they when they can't find her, they leave. And then she finds a, a, an uninhabited because she she makes a decision that she can't outrun them. No. So she's just going to just decimate. Yeah. So she needs to find an uninhabited planet. So they find one. So she she finds one and she blasts out with this gorgeous steam runner class ship, only to find you know um, Boba Fett in a vertical <laughs> in a vertical warbird has decloaked and gone after her. Um, Flying out of the ice field from Titan A, yep. Creed blaring in the background as she does it. Um, this is where Wrath of Khan starts to kick in yep. for a lot of people. The Cerritos arrives with acting Captain Boimler in charge. Which I loved. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. They can't restore the ship, so they decide in the most... Since 2002, Star Trek were possible. How do we solve an unwinnable situation? Why? By yeeting a starship at it, of course. Or as I like to call it, the Picard maneuver from Genesis, where it's just like, we can't win, so let's just throw ourselves at the Scimitar. Um, and Picard season three, let's just throw the Emmet Hart. At the Enterprise G. Or in the um, car, we'll just throw a damn asteroid at it. Oh, I love that. And everything can be solved by just throwing stuff. Um, but yeah, so they ram the, the, the Trinar shield, which disables it. And we get that lovely score, the lovely Rafa Khan score. Yeah. Um, as they do it. And it's like, where's. Because we think at this point, uh, Boimler's in charge of the Cerritos because the crew's on the destroyer, but the destroyer yep. gets destroyed. destroyed. Where and are they? We get the captain's yacht, and then and Boimler turns around and says, "Oh, I'm glad we get to see the captain's yacht," <laughs> which is a custom from Insurrection as well. I love that. I was like, tiny little obscure ships <laughs> zooms through the shield just before it closes. I just ah, oh. and then Mariner detonates the, um, the Genesis device. Yeah, well, she she arms it. Arms it, even not death. The, the 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 lovely standoff between Lacano and and Marin. I love the fact that Lacano is like, oh, I I made I graduated top of my class in Bond as well. And she's like, you never even graduated. graduated. Um, and I love the fact that she gets beamed off, and there is a paywall on a Ferengi Genesis device to disarm the two bars of two two pre of um, gold press latinum to deactivate. And the last word. Boom! <laughs> so, oh. yeah, so the Genesis device blows up, and then all of a sudden, it, 
first glance, it looks like the Bajoran wormhole. At first glance, when you just see it form, it looks like yes, and then, and then all of a sudden it stabilizes out. And, yeah, and yeah, Which, and then oh, that was it, great. It's it's. I love that sit when the Enterprise is warping away. And you get the, the 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 contrails from the warp, and you get the lovely rings of the gases yeah. falling, and just to see that again, oh, it's beautiful. The music, beautiful. Everything was just beautiful. And I love the fact in the debrief they're like, oh well, we're going to use this planet for refugees, but this planet has got Nick Lacano's DNA. So we're going to call it Lacano. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Are we going to see a baby Lacano? <laughs> Or are we going to see some weird, deformed, demented, Locarno-esque creature? Oh, God. Kind of like, you know how the Daleks look like inside their suit? Just kind of like that, oh, but made no. for Locarno. No, Locarno Mechanos. No. <laughs> or, um, uh, yeah, was it the, the, the Death Planet in Voyager where they make plant where they do. Oh, yes. We're yes. going to see like a Locarno version of that, maybe. Where they all just turn into goop. Yeah. But I, I like I like that the episode ends because obviously Tendi has uh, she saved her friends and now it was her, her turn to fulfil her part of the bargain. She yeah. leaves with the Orion fleet and I love the fact that the show just ends on the warp field with the credits. Yeah. Uh, there is no cliffhanger, there is no uh, surprise, secret ending or anything like that. It's so, just and also the end title music was brilliant, beautiful. Absolutely. absolutely beautiful fantastic yeah. no notes for this no notes for this episode but I do think it should have been either a 40 minute episode or a part one and two streamed on the same night yeah I, and that's that's yeah. the only kind of negative bit on this episode is I think the fact that it should have been a two a proper two-parter because it doesn't even say to be continued or anything like that. So if you if you happen to have missed the fact that Mike McMahon had turned around and said it's a two-parter, yeah, I think every you know people would never have got that. And I think to then maybe put the first two episodes, the last two episodes out at the same time would have made more sense. But in the first two episodes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just think. Oh, that was it. Rule of acquisition ninety-one. Your boss is only worth. Um, your boss is only worth what he pays you. And acquisition two eighty-nine. Shoot first, count profits later. I'm just gonna trek verify this. So ninety-one yep. two eighty-nine. Uh, no. Ah, no. We no. only go up. We only go up to. I mean, this was. Come on, guys. This was 1997, but we go up to rule 285. No good deed ever goes unpunished. Yeah. Um, but then we get so rule. That yeah. must mean then that there's new rules of acquisition. Well, I mean, you know, we've got Grand Nagus's Zect revised rules of acquisition. This one is Grand Nagus Rom's revised acquisition. Yeah, exactly. So you, you do get in the official fact files. There you go. The Zect okay. revised. Uh, focus use. So, there we go. Zek reviles rules are there. So there's nothing saying that Rom has not carried on Zek's normal work and revised the the rules. But I again the tidbits about this episode. Oh, go ahead. So um this episode was written by May Darman, 
who was previously Mike McMahon's assistant, and prior to that was Alex Kurtzman's assistant on Discovery. Ooh. It's also her first script credit. Um, sorry, her first credit. script credit, sorry, was on another, was on Solar Opposites. But this is a good credit to have for a Star Trek episode. This is a fantastic. Um, the episode did start, and this is a, this is a first, I think, for Lower Decks. Where did say previously on Star Trek Lower Decks? Yes, it did. Which I think is a first. Yes, because Ransom uh, did the previously yep. uh, for it as well, Jerry O'Connell. Uh, yep. Yes, yes, it actually did. Yes, because the uh, last I mean, was it was it the last episode nine had the two be continued on it as well. No. Are you sure? No, it did. Episode did nine. It? Yeah, had a two be continued. Very best of both worlds. Uh yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but it was no. I mean, on a whole, it was a fantastic season. And it, again, they just go into references and they just use them. They don't yep. make a song and dance about it because something Lord else Dex, that we've missed yeah. when Lacano is making his speech. You can see the reactions of a bunch of other vessels throughout the quadrant. One of which is. The Free Spirit, which has got Petra Ab 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 Yes, on. the archaeologists. Yes. Yep. So we see the Andorian ship. Yep. Um, the ship Mariner takes from Nova Base was the Steamrunner class, which we will discuss. Yep. Uh, it's the USS Pissarro, NCC 52670, which is not to be confused with the Gagarin class Pissarro. The yeah, so yeah. I mean five three. That is a very old ship. Yeah, but also both ships were named in honor of Star Trek artist Fabio Pissarro, who sadly passed away last year. Yeah, which I thought was a nice. Um, I do, um, I do love that. We, I mean, we had it in season three of Picard. We had a USS Pulaski. Yeah, uh, we had USS um, Mariner refers to the ship as an old tub, but Steam Runners was seen on active duty in. Um, over the previous decade in First Contact, Voyager. Um, and one will still be active 20 years after the episode, as we see in Season 3 of Picard. But it's still... But it's... I mean, 5-3, if you look at the registries for ships, that is quite old. Five, so, 5-2. Five, 5-2. Two. Five, two, five, two. Yeah. So that that is quite... You're looking okay. at yeah. 2350s. So that if, if you go for most Trekkies thing of... of, of naval registrations because galaxy class was the seven series yep um akira class which is the uss adequate that's six series yep. so Steam it's one five, then. yeah so it's an old it is an old ship yeah. so if you think by the 2380s that's already 30 years old and then to have one go through another 20 years later the season three of Picard. Well, these ships are built to last. Galaxy class was designed to last a hundred years. Oh. Excelsior class went over a hundred years, as yep. we saw uh, last season when they refitted the El the, the Excelsior class ship with uh, Sovereign Salt. No offense to Doug Drexler, he's an incredible man. I'm sorry, but I hate that ship. It's hideous. Oh. Anyway, oh. Um, you're the... gonna have that. You're gonna I buy know. that. <laughs> um, sue me. Um, the Trainar Shield and the Kano's Bridge Crew reveals that Binars also work as trios, which is something we've never seen before. Trainars. Yep. 
as noted by Marilyn when she says, oh yeah, the three binars, right, you can have three binars? So there we go. So those, those are my little tidbits, which I have to say, courtesy to trackmovie.com, which is where I have pulled them from. Thank you, guys, because your work is incredible. We love Trackmovie. Tidbits. Yeah, Trackmovie, love you guys to bits. Um, but yeah, as I said, this the whole season has just been fantastic. It's so nice to have light-hearted Star Trek, because I do feel sometimes it's taken way too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um and it can be very hard hitting so it's really nice to have that's one of the things my partner hates not hates but he dislikes the the live action star treks yeah because he finds them too heavy whereas he loves lower decks absolutely loves it and i've got him into prodigy so and he also loves prodigy as well so yeah, it's great to have lighthearted, and it's one of those things that if you're in a shit mood, you whack an episode of Lower Decks on, and you're soon to cheer up. If if you are new to Star Especially Trek, it's got a Moopsie in it. Yeah, if you if you are Moopsie, if you are new to Star Trek as well, the two most accessible series will yeah. be Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, yeah. because Lower Decks is by fans for fans and for new people, because it's like, hey, this dude's gonna geek out because he saw a steam run a class ship from Star Trek First Contact we're going to make you geek out because we're going to tell you why this is relevant why Lacano is relevant yep. why this happened What? and it's great in educating so you do, you know if, if you don't want to go back straight away and start from the original season and work your way up Lower Decks will cover you in terms of context 100% also it also proves the need and the desire for next generation era shows is yep. still there. 100%. We, it is, for a lot of people, uh, Mike 1 and Mike 2 included, it was our generation. Yeah. We I mean, grew up with that. Yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, I'm what, three years younger than you, but that was my first intro into Star Trek. My dad taped them off the telly on a you know VHS that got overwritten every week so the poor thing was as thin as dust by the time it was done Um, but I remember I remember sitting on the floor in my parents flat going space the final frontier these are the (laughs) you know every week two years old I called it Star Twix so again Twix two Twix yes so but it's it's, should we do that two Twix twin Twixes Twin tw- yeah. It's a twin twains, twin twixes. <laughs> I love that. Um, but yeah, so we we consider the next generation our era. We consider anything. I mean, Star Trek Picard was it's legitimately twenty years since Nemesis, so we consider that our timeline. Yeah. This is yes, Lord Dex is twenty years prior, but again, it's that era that we love, and there's so so much that you can explore, delve into, places you can still go. And because it's animation, it does not cost you a fortune no. to build a, a promenade set. And you can go to places that have only just been touched on previously because you haven't got to build those sets. Yes. Like Franganar, like Orion, you know. And that's why... Uh- Lower decks, yeah. That's why I love animation. To be but fun. we are not saying if there's any new live action Star Trek series, we would not like to be background actors. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 
I would like to play some sort of alien at a bar, please. Oh, I'd love it. Hey, if you can, Paramount, if you want a fat Starfleet officer, come, I'm here. <laughs> if you want someone with glasses that can't see without them, there's your man. Call me. So, if you had to score the season out of 10, Mike, two, what would it be? Well, Mike One, I would give this. Can we do halves or are we just doing solid numbers? If you want to go halves, go halves. I am going to do the Galaxy Classes Warp speed limit of Warp 9.99. Good man. Because this is... We've had filler episodes, but they have still been alright episodes. Yep. That chips away at it. But you're never going to get a solid run of good episodes. We didn't get it in Strangely Worlds, we didn't get it in Picard, we didn't get it in Novet. You were never going to get it. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a perfect 10 ever in Star oh. Trek. So, But this this is high. It's for really a year, For a year, and, and let's put this into perspective, in nine months, eight months, we have had season three of Picard, Season two of Strange New Worlds. Yep. Star Trek Prodigy, uh, one point five, or, or season one point. Well, on whatever, DVD release anyway. Yeah, yeah part two, um, and we have had lower decks so far. I mean, I, there's nothing. There's going to be nothing until next year. Let's be honest. But with the writer strike that happened, the actor strike that is still going on, there is going to be a very long space. Because Paramount have only got Discovery and uh, Prodigy, which is going to be on Netflix. They are going to space this out to make it last. But then that's also the great thing about animation. You can churn it out quicker than you can live action. Yeah, but we we still need... We'll probably see this before season... We'll probably see season five of Lower Decks before we see season three of Stranger Worlds. Yeah. As long as the actors get what they have duly deserved, we will see it before any more live action Star Trek. But... If this is the year and they say we're going to have, apart from Discovery, nothing new until 2025, it's a way to end on a high. And we could say we have had, I mean, Discovery is considered the black sheep of Star Trek. It's very divisive. We know with our fans, it's, it's very divisive with people. If they pull out all the stops for season five and we have got a, a full house of top-notch series, I'm more than happy to wait for a year. Yeah, so if, if they turn around and say, there's got to be nothing until 2025, that's fine, because I have had excellent Picard, excellent Lord X, excellent strategy. I can re-watch that, I can do that. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I am very hopeful for Star Trek going forward. We've had ropey seasons, we've had ropey shows, ropey episodes. We seem to be getting into a new golden age of Star Trek now. Yeah, um, and I am extremely excited for the future. I am just very looking forward to my Moopsy plushie eventually getting made and the Twin Twins. At and I'm very much looking forward to the 30 Moopsy plushies that I will be ordering. <laughs> One for every day of the week. Every day of the week. Every day of the month, sorry. I was about 30 days in a week. Yes. Oh, God, <laughs> could you imagine the 30 days? What, what Starbase are you posted on? <laughs> a rather fucked up one close That's to a black hole. That's a very slow um, orbit. <laughs> all very close to a black hole with time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mike, 
thank you very much for joining me on this episode uh if people want to reach out to you where is the best place to do so sir my days if you want to reach out to me i'm on twitter x or whatever elon musk has decided to call it this week at goodwill nun um you will see me all the time i like all of clone star stuff i retweet it i i'm just like i am here um you will see me throwing memes at other trekkies and trekkers all over the world i we've got a lovely little trek family um, and i like to bother everyone um, i'm on twitter as goodwill nun if you want to catch to Trekking Up North. We are on the Nerdy Up North YouTube channel. Um, we are a, we are a little series of shows that branch into all things nerdy. So we have a general podcast that covers movies and TV shows. We have a monsters podcast that's covered universal monsters, monsters from sci-fi, monsters from horror, monsters from other random things that uh, one of... Uh, my friend Sammy does, which is wonderful. And we've got Twitch as well. We do like to play games. So if you want to see me, yeah, probably don't see last week's Twitch because I dress <laughs> like a goth, but um, I have fun. We It's a, it's a laugh. We, we're we a lovely little community on Facebook if you want to join Nerdy Up North. Um, yep. The Nerdy Up North community, we have a laugh. We connect with people all over the world. And it's allowed me to meet wonderful people like Mike Wan, like Joseph. It's it's been amazing to see eight months of my life change in a dramatically wonderful way and yep. connect with people. And now I'm going to Las Vegas to have a twain off. Do you know what? Who exactly, would have predicted us? I know. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you. Um, if you'd said to me in January of this year that I would be hosting my own podcast show and co-hosting with some incredible people mm-hmm. um, I would have told you to get a grip <laughs> please if you are if you are coming to Las Vegas come and sell us <laughs> sorry my uh, systems reboot sell us uh, no no please don't sell me come, come and... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on offer um, come and say hello I will have trekking up north t-shirts I will have stickers just come and say hello. I will film you for trekking up north. We, I just want to meet as many lovely people as possible who love Star Trek. I want to, I want to embrace the love of Star Trek for with all you guys. And I, I just think it's been an incredible journey this year um, to to meet you all and to, to do this. And now I'm the captain of a run down the Kira class starship that gets drunk on a Friday night and reviews Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Mike, thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Uh, thanks to everyone else for watching and listening to this episode. Of course, you can catch up with more Clone Star Pod at clonestarpod.com where there are blogs and fan art created by you, our wonderful fans. Thanks, guys. Live long and prosper. <laughs>